Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Is the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise? Now here's BK and Ferrario. Blues get it back, shooting at the score. Clifford. He gets it back for the Blues. Kyle Clifford from the far circle, and we've tied the game one to one. It's good to see, you know, guys like Clifford get a goal, and and it was good to see Sanford get a goal tonight too. So uh, we got contributions up and down our lineup tonight, which was nice. Shot blocked. Sanford gets it back. He scores. Zach Sanford threw a screen and then threw a hole on the near post. He gives the Blues a two-to-one lead. You know, some guys aren't going another one night, then other guys will pick up their slack, and that's what we saw here tonight. Goals throughout the lineup, and uh, that's what makes us a good team. That's Pareko near wing. Hoffman, he scores! Mike Hoffman, bring out the Zamboni! The Blues win in overtime! Hoffman snipes the game winner, and it's a 5-4 Blues win in the desert tonight. Now that that is what a weekend should look like against the Arizona Coyotes. Hell yeah! Along with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Blues identity is back, ladies and gentlemen. We are back, baby! That was Blues hockey. Friday night was really Blues hockey. They cycle the puck into the Ozone. They have constant pressure. They're working on the forecheck. They were aggressive. They were physical. That was what you expect from the Blues, especially against a team like the Arizona Coyotes. And then you follow that up on a back-to-back with a gutty, gutty win without a bunch of your forwards. You're without Tyler Bozak. You're without Jaden Schwartz. Robert Thomas is already out. Oscar Sundquist was in doubt and was certainly banged up in that one. And they find a way. Your secondary scoring contributors, Kyle Clifford, Zach Sanford, Ivan Barbashev, they stepped up. Jordan Cairo with the big one. And then you finish it off with the guy that we have certainly had our moments of being critical about, Mike Hoffman, putting the game away. Alex, I know you had to be excited because that, that right there, my friend, was the team that we were expecting this year. Exactly, BK. And the way I looked at it, Friday and Saturday, Friday was the Blues team we all have grown to know and love. Saturday was this year's Blues team. And what I mean by that is they have the highs and lows. It's going to be a roller coaster of a season. We've talked a lot about it, that they're going to have to find ways to get energy with empty stadiums and taking on the same team. Basically, it's the COVID Cup right now. I think I've called this with the Arizona Coyotes. (laughs) But 
Saturday was the Blues team in terms of still struggling defensively, still trying to find that identity, that hard-nosed, grizzled push in their own zone. But they're resilient, and that's what this Blues team, they've had come from behind victories in the past. That one was big, in my opinion, because Arizona, on their home ice, sucked the momentum out of the Blues. Because if you go through it, BK, Blues took the lead at the end of that first period. They regained the lead in the second period, and then two quick goals in the first 10 minutes from Arizona, Blues looked like they had nothing. But then, boom, Jordan Cairo jumps down the ice, and he scores the goal. Then into overtime, where, look, shootouts have not been kind to the Blues this season. Mike Hoffman finishes it himself and gets the shot that we've all been waiting to see from him. So this was contributions from all four lines. You're right, BK. This was the four check that we all know of getting the puck in sustained offensive pressure, cycling while you can get a new line on there, fresh legs, and then capitalizing. The biggest thing for me last night or Saturday night was the fact that they were capitalizing on those chances and they weren't missing the net because that's been the problem in the early portion of this season. And on Friday night, you mentioned that's the Blues team that we've come to know and love. They also, the thing that stood out to me about it, that fourth line, they played. Yep. That fourth line actually <laughs> gave them a contribution with Clifford and De La Rose and McEachern. Right. They looked like a typical Blues fourth line. And we haven't seen that for much of the season. There were games where they were playing five six minutes of even ice time they played more than eight minutes of even strength ice time in that game and that's that is something this team is going to need moving forward especially with the uncertain future of what it's going to look like for Bozak Schwartz and Thomas we know Thomas is going to be out for a while Bozak I don't like seeing this it's been a minute now he's been what two weeks now that he's been out yeah, it's a Vegas game, so about two weeks. They said Jaden Schwartz is day-to-day. Who knows what that means? Uh, Ber- it could be literally anything. And Baruby said after the game Saturday night that there's no timetable on this. It's day-to-day now, but those day-to-days can turn into I was week about to, to week. say, that, that quickly becomes, eh, we're two weeks in, kind of like this Bozak thing. Right. Still not sure. The we'll see. The good news with him, though, is it's a lower body injury. That's what they told us before the game Saturday, which means it's not a concussion because that's what you're always concerned about. That's with Bozak right now, that headshot mm-hmm. that he took. So with Schwartz, it's good news, but not good news because you don't have him for at least for the near future. Ivan Barbashev talked about it after the game, the Blues trending in the right direction, specifically referencing what we've talked so much about. Hey, finally, they're starting to get some contributions from the guys that are on those lower tertiary elements of the team. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think like every single uh, every single line is going. Even like uh, the guys that uh, didn't play for, for a long time, like uh, Rosie, Mark, uh, today we had uh, Poganski. Those guys are going, uh, and uh, they're doing a really good job for us out there. How about Poganski? I know that's your guy. Pogs. No, no, nobody. The Pogfather? The Pogfather. <laughs> oh, my no, God. We just came up with a hockey more. name. Nobody is. I, I think he's got to go by Poggy, right? Don't they just add E yeah, to the end E-R-S. of every name? Yeah. It's E or S. What'd you think about him? I liked his game. Now, look, he didn't show up on the score sheet for you. He hit a screen on one of the goals. That though, was right? it, though. Like, he played the way you needed somebody to play. You need guys that go to the net. And look, Zach Sanford has been struggling going to the net. He wants to be the shooter. Blues want him to be a power forward. It's kind of this mixed signal in the middle. But Pagansky jumped on that line and said, I'll be the guy that goes to the front for you. He went. He stood in front of that net. He played Craig Berube-style hockey. And as Barbashev mentioned all of these names, BK, think about this. Jacob De La Rose has been impressive in these last couple of games because he's fighting for his time on the ice, playing very solid minutes. He's on the penalty kill. He's winning face-offs. 
Mackenzie McEachern. He has been the center of a couple the of goals this season. Been good. It has. But what you've done is you've moved Barbashev up to a top line who has been solid. He's got points in three games. He looks awesome, man. I did I did not see this coming. It's the Zach Sanford effect. It's the you put somebody on the line with those two. It's going to work, but it's going to work if they work for the puck. And that's what Barbashev's doing. Pagansky on that third line with Sanford. He's a depth guy. He's somebody who can Craig Berube plug and play right now for this Blues team. They're getting pushed from everyone right now. But what it does is it creates internal competition. What happens when Robert Thomas is healthy? You imagine he's going to go back into the lineup. But if he's out playing a Sanford, if he's out playing a Barbashev, somebody's going to stay in. You need that internal competition, and that's what they have right now. I wonder if you move at that point Oscar Sundquist to the wing. You know, like this is we're like four to six oh, yeah. weeks away. We, we've got some time where they're going to be able to, to talk about these things. But I think you have found a spot now for Mike Hoffman. He's going to be on the right wing moving forward. Mm-hmm. I, I think we know that now. David Perron is going to stick with O'Reilly. And I actually really like maybe this changes. I really like Barbashev on that line. I think he makes a ton of sense there. The four check and let's go here. Full credit to Craig Berube. <laughs> the. This is nothing new. He seems to have the Midas touch with everything when it comes to what he's got, he's got putting the eyes, which individual lines they are on, how he's tinkering with things. It always seems to work out for him. He said we needed more forecheck. So he puts a forechecker on every line. I'll be damned. It worked perfectly. It's yep. exactly what they needed, especially in this COVID cup against the Coyotes <laughs> as you're talking about it. So full credit to him. When we get to the place where Robert Thomas and Schwartz and Bozak, hopefully all of them are back, I think you go back to Robert Thomas as the third line center. I would like to see, similar to having Barbashev on that first line, Oscar Sundquist as a winger for him. I think that helps him. I think Oscar Sundquist can do anything you ask him to. Yeah, literally. I wouldn't be surprised if at that point you also see Tyler Bozak drop down to the fourth line. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I be that, surprised. I think that should probably be coming up. I point. wouldn't be surprised, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the Blues take their time on, on guys like Bozak coming back. Right? Sure. One, it's a head injury. Two, if it is. That's speculation, but that's where he got hit. But if guys are playing this way, you're not going to rush somebody there. But when he is available, makes sense as a fourth line guy. Oscar Sundquist, folks, I, I mean, if you haven't bought in on this guy, you need to by now. Craig Berube called him a warrior after Saturday's game. Mike Hoffman said the exact same thing. He took a, a fall in Friday's game, and he went headfirst into those boards. He had to be helped off the ice. We all saw it on television. But then there was no doubt from Friday's postgame to Saturday that this guy was going to be back in the lineup, and he gave it all. He put everything out there. He makes his line mates better. So you're right, BK. Right now, nobody's going to move Barbashev off that top line. It's the same thing when Sanford was rolling. You stay up there with those because there's chemistry. There's chemistry with Kairou, Shannon, Schwartz when Schwartz is there. But if there's no Schwartz there, well, guess what? Mike Hoffman makes an awful lot of sense on the left or right side on that line. And then you got a third line right now. When Thomas is back, Sunquist is his line mate. Sunquist can play left or right. And guess what? When Tarasenko comes back, that seems like a likely spot as well. Every line has somebody that is going to forecheck and use their body to go to the net and get the puck back. That's what Craig Berube wants. And as long as the players are buying in, that's going to stay that way. And that's where the effectiveness comes from for the offense. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues versus Coyotes, the deciding 
Game number seven coming up today. It's a pregame at two o'clock. It's an early game today, especially if you're somebody that's going home. Maybe you're getting a half day. (laughs) I might not be. Make sure that you get home early. Turn on the radio. Keep it right here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario has pregame coverage for you coming up at two o'clock. It's 1114. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show today. We got this one from the 314. Guys, I just got sent home early from work. What should I drink with lunch? What's your favorite go-to beer? Tanner, I know you are new to the beer drinking club, but he's just going through them like crazy. What's your your go-to celebration beer on a day like today where it's freezing freaking cold outside? Uh, I would have to say I'm going to, I think it's pronounced Zwickel. Yeah, Zvickle. I'm going to Zvickle. Or Boston. Urban or, or a Boston lager. I really like those. I was oh, drinking good. that we last don't, night. We don't, we don't talk about Boston here. Oh, then I'm drinking a Long lager. Island iced tea. Oh, wait, that's, <laughs> that's not a beer. Not a beer. <laughs> Any seltzer. It doesn't matter. Put the well, seltzers in front of me. Beer. That's fine. No, it is a beer. It's Bud Light. It's a beer. Bud Light seltzer. Whatever it is, put it in front of me and I'll go to town. This is a fantastic stout. Uh, type of weather right now where it's just nasty outside. Uh, get yourself up to narrow gauge in North County if you can, if you're in the area and you don't, you don't uh, feel like it's going to be too pressing to get there. Go up there. They've got some great stouts right now. Um, go to my, my favorite spot in town as well. Heavy Rift. They've got some good stuff for you. Go to one of your local craft breweries. You'll be able to find something here in St. Louis, but I, I'd go with the stout today if you're not into that sort of thing. Uh, honestly, any any sort of Boston Lager is not a bad one. Vickle's always good. Uh, a, a little darker. A little darker beer on a day like today. Or seltzers. It's fine, too. And seltzers is also a great way to celebrate in the <laughs> four-degree weather. Coming up next, Jack Flaherty. Oh, boy. He had one heck of a weekend. And it rubbed some Cardinals fans the wrong way. Are we watching the beginning of the end of Jack here in St. Louis? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now, here's BK and Ferrario. Jack Flaherty got a win over the weekend. I know the baseball season hasn't officially started yet, even if it feels like it outside. (laughs) Jack Flaherty won his arbitration case against the Cardinals. He filed for $3.9 million. The team filed at $3 million. It is the first time that the Cardinals have lost an arbitration hearing since 1994. I was two years old the last time that the Cardinals lost an arbitration hearing. It's rare that teams lose those anyway. It is. Um, it's rare the Cardinals go to arbitration. Yeah. It, it it was basically an organizational philosophy for a long time that they would not go to these trials. And now they've kind of started going to them more and more often. Right. It started with Walker, I think back in like 2016, 17, something like that. So it's a pretty recent trend for them. But this is a guy that is willing to bet on himself. He did that with the team options his first couple of seasons in the big leagues. He ended up not accepting what the Cardinals offered him. And last year took a $10,000 pay cut as a result of that, as kind of a uh, penalty for him not accepting their offer. This year, he got what he wanted, though. He wanted to go to arbitration. He wanted to say, I'm worth this amount of money. The Cardinals said, no, we think you're worth this. this," And he won. And to celebrate, he tweeted out the Jordan meme. Of course, I'm referring to the one from The Last Dance that came out last year, which was the I took that personally. Oh, I thought it was the Jordan crying meme. Nope, not that one. Good. Wish. There are plenty of Cardinals fans from what I have seen on social media over the weekend, and I know that is not a true reflection of the fan base. 
But there are plenty of fans that did not take kindly to this. What was your guys' reaction? Let's start with you, with you, Alex. What was your reaction when you saw that Flaherty had won this? And what was your reaction when you saw how he reacted to his win in the arbitration hearing? I, frankly, I wasn't surprised that he won this. I, I mean, I think the Cardinals expected going into this that he was going to win this case. Um, look, let me preface this by saying I respect Jack Flaherty for betting on himself because athletes should do that bet on yourself. And he has stuck to this since he has been a Cardinal. I've talked with Jack an awful lot. He has the utmost confidence in himself. Kobe Bryant is his idol. So it makes a lot of sense. Now, with that being said, I think the way he went about the reaction to it was a little unnecessary just because to tweet out that. And I took that personally and look, it's a gif. I get it. It's a meme. Like he's having fun on social media. He's he's voicing his opinion with all athletes should be able to do. But you got to be able to take the criticism that comes with it and to act like it was a personal shot from the Cardinals to go to arbitration with you and for there to be a $900,000 difference, 3.9 is what he got and the Cardinals offered him 3 million to take that as a personal shot from the Cardinals is a little too much in my opinion, just because it's like, look, you're still a young pitcher. You have had an incredible second half of the season a couple of years ago. Last year was not his fault. Last year, he had to go with what basically the circumstances that were handed to him, which wasn't great in his initial outcome. But I would just say pump the brakes a little bit here, Jack. Pump them a little bit in terms of, not making this look like that the Cardinals are the bad guys and that they're out to get you and not giving you what you feel like you deserve. You wanted to go this route. This is the route that it's going to go. You want to go every season where you feel like you're going to bet on yourself. Then that's fine. But don't turn this into a personal vendetta from the Cardinals against yourself. I actually saw these in reverse order. I saw the meme first and then saw that he won. So at first, my reaction was, wow, how did he lose? But That's a good point. I, I actually, I, I, that is exactly the same reaction I had. I was like, whoa, Michael, he, he, he. Michael Walker, um, Jack Flaherty lost his suit against the, wow, that's and, surprising. And he was pissed off. But like, I see the meme and I go, I don't care. I like a guy with a little fire in him. I want him to have that push of, hey. You don't want to pay me the 900000 that I want? Fine, I'm going to take it personally, and I'm going to prove you wrong. I like that. I mean, I know the Cardinals probably don't, because I know they like the guys to be boring and just show up on the field and play baseball. Ooh, but T-bone I throwing like, shots. I like, the idea, I like him having some fire. I like him taking this personally. I want to see him go out and prove the Cardinals wrong, because if anything, you light a little fire under him, and now he's going to come out and have a great season. I don't, I don't have any problem with him posting any gif or meme of Michael Jordan saying, I took that personally. Fine, you take it personally, but go prove that we were wrong and go earn earn our respect. Maybe not respect's too strong a word, but go earn that $900,000 that you just won. You know who else would do something like this? And Cardinals fans, like, if it was the on-field version of what we're talking about, would love it. But the off-field stuff rubs them a little bit the wrong way. Yadier Molina. This is the same kind of fire and enthusiasm that Yadier Molina plays with. The thing that makes them great is the same thing that would rub Cardinals fans a little bit in the wrong way. I remember reading from Michael Walker. That's why I mentioned his name, uh, Freudian Slip, a minute ago. Um, Michael Walker, after his arbitration case, this came back in 2017. He was asked about what that situation is like to go to that hearing and hear what the team is saying about you. Because you have to remember what the team is saying about you is why you do not deserve that race. 
So they are essentially saying this player is not as good as the salary that they are asking for. And then they have to prove why that is the case. Michael Walker was asked about that. And he said, a lot of what happens is they're comparing me to other players in the comps on both sides. And they also say some stuff. They go in there saying nothing's personal or personal rather, but they say some stuff for sure. Basically suggesting, yeah, it does get a little bit personal in there. And it hurts sometimes to hear those sorts of things that they're saying about you. I think that's what's happening here. I don't think Jack's saying that he took it personally that the Cardinals filed at $3 million. I'm saying, I think he's basically saying like, yeah, I'm worth what I'm asking for. And I got it. And this, this just proved to everybody I'm worth what I'm asking for. And he's going to try to prove it again on the field this year. I didn't have an issue with it, but I understand if you're a Cardinals fan and it rubs you the wrong way, especially given what's going on externally right now. I get that. I had no issue with Jack posting this though. But to take it personally, in the th- this is the route that Jack wants to go, right? Like, this is the route that he has told the Cardinals. He's not going to sign an extension that gets him through arbitration. He's sure. not going to do anything. He's going to go year by year. You've decided to go this way. And, and maybe well, baseball this- has decided that this is your only route to that. Correct. It's not on him. This is the si- He basically said, tell me the rules to the game. What What is the game that I am playing, which is this arbitration process in baseball, He learned how to beat the game and now he is going about it and executing his plan accordingly because this is this is the only way that he can get the most money possible right now at this point in his career. So it's not on the Cardinals. It's not on Jack Flaherty. This is the system with which that we played this game. Exactly. And I understand that. And again, credit to Jack Flaherty for putting himself in that position and taking advantage of it. But you don't have to become, oh, well, I'm taking all of this personally. And and again, maybe this is just me and I'm soft when it comes to this thing. But to sit there and take it personally year by year where you know this is the route it's going to go. This is unfortunately the way that Major League Baseball has put players into this position. This isn't the Cardinals. This is MLB. So to take it personally in a personal shot from St. Louis. And I he don't never think, said that he did, though. N- n- like Essentially, it, that's the tweet that was put out there, though. I took that never personally. says anything about the Cardinals. Well, you, you know, it, like it, it's it's the system. And he, he has said actually publicly, Derek Gould has reported this numerous times. He doesn't take any of it personally from the mm-hmm. Cardinals, from the city of St. Louis. He's trying to beat the system. Right. And the system is what he took personally. Because in that meme, like, he didn't say anything with a caption of it. It just literally says the the Jordan meme. Yeah. And we get to d- discern it's what the that double, means on our, on our yeah, own. It's the double meaning. It's reading between the lines. And that's what this is, right? This is what everyone goes with. But, again, for me, it just feels like you taking this personally is – you're taking personal what was expected of this, and look, it worked out in Jack's favor, and I hope he takes this personally in terms of towards Major League Baseball and goes out there and gets the most of his money because the better he is, the better this Cardinals team is going to be. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I am curious because I do think there is a little bit of a split in opinion. I, I think a lot of St. Louis is with you right now, Alex. They they look at this as Jack took this personally. He shouldn't have took it personally, and there are some questions as to what this means for his future. Here in St. Louis. I want to hear from the listeners on the text line. Also, the Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. What do you think this means for Jack Flaherty's future here in St. Louis? We'll get into that as we go along here today. I want to talk to the new Cardinals beat writer, Zachary Silver, about this coming up next. You can follow him on Twitter. He is the new guy that is taking over for Ann Rogers. He'll be covering the team on a day-to-day basis. Zachary Silver joins us next on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Zach Silver is the new Cardinals beat writer for Cardinals.com. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Zach, appreciate the time, man. Congratulations on the new gig. How you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Doing well. Thanks for having me. The pleasure's all mine. Absolutely. So let's start with this. Um, what's a little bit of your background for Cardinals fans that are reading you for the first time? They are hearing you on the show for the first time. What What's your background? How did you end up with Cardinals.com? Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area, uh, from Maryland, right outside. Very proud of Marylander. Um, and uh, I've been working for MLB for a couple of years now as a college intern. Uh, for two summers, and then this past uh, year, I started working um, as a reporter-producer hybrid in the D.C. Baltimore area, um, and we've had a lot of turnover, unfortunately, just a lot of budget cuts, and that's opened up uh, some different roles, um, and the Cardinals role opened up, so I've been you know, working at D.C. Baltimore primarily, but now I'm really excited to, to get out to St. Louis and uh, and work, uh, work, for, the cards, work now, for the Cards. Now, Zach, I was doing some investigative research. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. Are you a, a Cornell grad? Indeed, indeed I am. Okay, so so every time we talk, then, and we're going to be talking a lot, I don't know if you're a fan of The Office, but every time we get you on, I'm going to say, Cornell, ever heard of it? Yeah, well, as, as when I was there, that was always super popular. Uh, Andy actually gave a commencement speech a few years before I graduated, so it's, it's kind of uh, definitely something that, you know, every time it's on Twitter or anything that is mentioned, it's always the first <laughs> gift that I get in my mentions. We're talking to Zach Silver, new Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com. All right, Zach, so let's let's talk a little bit about this Cardinals team. You came in at a fairly interesting time. Um, <laughs> there's been some frustrations, as I'm sure you have heard, over the last few years about the Cardinals not making that big move, and now they go and acquire, you know, uh, the Great White Buffalo and Nolan Arenado. <laughs> what was your reaction to the news, and how do you think it changes the complexion of this lineup? Well, my reaction was I didn't have much time to have a reaction because it was quite literally the first day that I started on the gig. <laughs> so that was uh, quite the welcome from uh, from Mo. He he really wanted to make sure that I knew what I was getting myself into. Uh, no, I mean it's you know it's it's what what the fan base has been waiting for, right? I mean you know Paul Goldschmidt a few years ago was kind of along this tenor, but it still felt like the team needed one more punch in the lineup. Uh, if you I mean if you look at the team from last year, you know Goldie did play very well, but he he could have used a little bit more protection behind him and. That was what it was. You know, the pitching the pitching held its own last year, even through all the pauses, even through the outbreak. The pitching, you know, did did perform where it needed to perform. Um, but it, it was a bat that was kind of what everyone was clamoring for all off season. And you know, I remember where I was when I first saw Ken Rosenthal Ken Rosenthal uh, tweet that they were you know giving putting some interest into Arenado. And now that we've learned that's been you know years in the making, their interest in him. So. Yeah, I think it was a, a necessary move, um, especially with the, you see the Dodgers um, continuing to to ramp up, and they they still seem like a team to beat. But you know, you're not the Cardinals wouldn't even be in that conversation with them if it weren't for an acquisition like an Arenado. All right, Zach. So, so for the time that, that you have been working for MLB, and I'm assuming you're a huge baseball fan in itself, what was the outside perspective of this Cardinals team before you joined the beat? What's the outside look from your thoughts on this Cardinals squad? Well, I'd be lying if I uh, if I didn't come up, you know, knowing about Cardinals Devil Magic or best fans in baseball, all those <laughs> refrains. I mean, every year you get a guy like Tommy Edmond who steps up and he's the you know, imposing space doesn't know about. And 
uh, you know, just, just a name like that who kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, the Cards do such a great job of developing their homegrown talent. Um, today on the website, we actually are listing the top five Cardinals homegrown draft picks. And, you know, you just look through some of the names on that list, and there's so many great names that could be on it. There's a uh, uh, Hall of Famer in Ted Simmons and two likely on the way in Yachty and, and Albert. So there's, you know, there's just so much about so much that the Cardinals do that a lot of clubs are trying to catch up and doing. They, they trade well for talent, like with Arenado and Goldschmidt and Lou Brock and a lot of other icons, and they do very well drafting. It's just a very well-rounded franchise that doesn't really seem to have too many faults. Are you going back down to spring training this year? I will be, yeah. I'll be there uh, next weekend for a full squad report. What's the number one thing you're watching for? I'm really interested in the outfield because, you know, when they traded Dexter to, to L.A., that was kind of a move. I mean, that's a move that gives these young guys the, that's a formal, you know, this is your time. You know, Dylan Carlson, right field is yours to lose. You know, Harrison and, and um, uh, Tyler O'Neill, you know, these are your positions. There's not really going to be any more competition for you guys, at least from the surface level. Now, you will have Justin Williams or an Austin Dean who could compete for playing time, but without anyone really of stature or history to, to compete with these guys, you know, they're putting a lot of stock into the offense that these guys can produce. And, you know, Dylan obviously has only had one year not even a full year under his belt. So you don't really put much stock into how he, you know, his maybe his struggles or just his adjustments last year, but Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, these are guys that have had a few more years under their belt and the cards are really going to be putting a lot of stock into seeing these guys step up offensively. You know, even with an Arenado, they need, they need some production from their outfield um, to make sure that just up and down the lineup, it's going to be a constant threat. And you have other guys who are coming up, you know, disappointing seasons. And you can call that an aberration with how short and how crazy the year was. But, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if uh, the outfield is the trade deadline move that they might make or just how those young guys. I mean, Harrison Bader is only 26. He needs to be the oldest guy in the outfield. That's, that's what I'm looking for. All right, Zach, one thing you'll have to know, because you're going to be coming on with us a lot this season. My guy BK is the president of the Harrison Bader and Dylan Carlson fan club. Are you <laughs> as high on these two guys as my guy BK is? Now, to be clear, Zach, I, I want to clarify here, because that makes it seem like I think that Harrison Bader is going to be like a 300 hitter with he 30 does. homers. <laughs> I think he's fine for what he is. I think he's miscast as a guy that people expect more than what he should be. Uh, he's a 250 hitter, gets on base at a decent clip, but plays gold glove defense. And on a contender where he's batting ninth in the lineup every day, I think that's perfectly fine. Just to clarify as to what my expectations are for him. <laughs> oh yeah, no. If, if that's if that's what your if that's what your um, role for him is, that's certainly you know doable. That's certainly you know if you get that out of him, that's that's more than uh, sufficient. Just with all the other threats up and down the lineup, but. but you know, when you when you're kind of making him into that role, you also need a Paul DeJong, Paul DeYoung and a and a Tommy Edmond to kind of step back up after their you know tough last seasons. And you know, obviously, like I said, that those are you know you can cast those off as kind of crazy years. Um, Dylan Carlson, I do think is you know last year was such a short time for him, and it was just so crazy with the pause in the middle of the season for the team. Um, but I mean, his his knowledge of the of the batter's box of, of the strike zone and his just poise in the batter's box, I think, was really on display last year. And and, you know, you look at Juan Soto on the Nationals, just he's incredibly adept in the batter's box. And it, I think that's kind of, you know, I'm not going to comp them. I think that's a little, little much at the moment. But I think I don't know. That's what I heard. <laughs> BK already <laughs> is. Don't worry, buddy. <laughs> those skills are just, those translate well into just being able to, um, you know, find some success over time. 
Zach Silver is the new Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com. You can check out his work over at Cardinals.com and also at his uh, name on Twitter, at Zach Silver, Z-A-C-H Silver. Zach, last question that I've got for you. Um, There was the news over the weekend that Jack Flaherty won his arbitration case against the Cardinals. He's going to get that $3.9 million salary going into 2021. You have a little bit more of an outside perspective on this than than we do as as people who have talked about Jack over the years. What is your opinion on Jack Flaherty going into this upcoming year? What what are your expectations for him? Well, I think I think his expect my expectations for him are probably lower than whatever his expectations are for himself. Just because I think he really sets a high bar for himself. You know, I'm sure last season, as tough as it was, I mean, you know. That's kind of what we've what I've been saying with all these guys. It, it was tough years for a lot of players. So what I'm interested is to see how a lot of these guys are coming back from down years and can respond to that. Uh, but I think he is, you know, an incredibly diligent worker, and I mean, he's he's a great personality. I mean, we need a lot more guys with his personality. Not I don't know if you saw his um, uh, his the gifts he tweeted on yeah. put on Twitter after he won his arbitration case. But you know, just this guy's a little bit more flair and a little bit more. Um, you know, personality and, and are able to kind of take a lighter side of things, um, I think is, you know, great to have, you know, you, you see your Tatis and guys who are not too shy to, to put their personality out there. And I think it's important that we give, you know, guys like that the backing. Um, but, you know, that does come, you know, when you put yourself out there, that does come with expectations. And that comes with, you know, if you can talk to talk, you got to walk the walk. But I think that so far in his career, he's definitely walked the walk. And I know that in 2021, it's just going to be refining what he had in the, in the two years prior to this past season. Zach, final one that I got for you. Looking at this this National League at a whole, you know, the Dodgers and Padres are on their own echelon going into this season. Do you view this Cardinals team kind of the same as the Braves and the Mets and the Nationals, or do you view them lower than those teams? Um, I wouldn't put them lower than those teams. i put them pretty on par. I mean, the NL Central as a, as a whole was, it was just a, a tough go in 2020. I mean, the Cards were one of the lower teams as far as runs per game, but that was still good enough for second in the NL central. So I think, I think in a certain way you do have to put some NL central team. You have to give a little bit more slack to the NL East teams, just or a little bit more credit to the NL East teams, just because of, you know, the, the sheer amount of talent. I mean, you saw how many, how long it took the cards to make a major league move and how you know few moves the rest of the NL central has made. Um, so I, and I'm, what I'm interested to see is now that the season is back to a normal schedule where, you know, the cards are playing teams in the West and the East again, and you're going to get a lot less uh, just interdivisional competition. You'll, you'll get a lot more, um, you know, equal playing field, so to speak. Um, so I, I would probably put the – I think the Braves are a little underrated. I know that the projections have them pretty low, but I think they're going to – you know, I, I think the division is still theirs to lose. Um, you know, but I'd maybe put them maybe a half peg below the Braves, and but, you know, still above the Mets and the Nationals for sure. He's Zach Silver, Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com. Find his work over at Cardinals.com. You can also give him a follow on Twitter. You're going to want to do that throughout this Cardinals season at Zach Silver, Z-A-C-H Silver. Zach, always appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to having you around to cover this team. And uh, hopefully next time that we're able to talk with you, we can talk to you about what your thoughts are on St. Louis style pizza and gooey butter cake and toasted wraps and all of the sorts. Sounds good. I look forward to getting some of the barbecue out there, too. Heck, yeah, absolutely. That's Zach Silver joining us here on 101 ESPN. Certainly looking forward to his coverage on this team. I always find it interesting for somebody coming from the outside and then joining the press corps here or just a fan that is able to kind of drop in and suddenly now they're they're paying attention to the team every day. I love hearing the perspective from those people because they're not – 
around it as often as we are prior to this. They don't have as many uh, prior ideas of what the team should be. Right. So I love that Zach Silver came and he's like, yeah, I think they're like right on par with the Mets. I think they're maybe a little bit below the Dodgers and Padres, but they're they're right next to uh, right on that next tier in the National League. And I, I think that's where I've got them right and now. His too. analysis of this Cardinals team from the outside perspective is right on par with what we've all been looking at. And, you know, you, the reason I bring that up is because we always feel like we're being homers when it comes to it. But to hear somebody else say that, look, this offense has just been missing that one piece. That's something to give you a little bit more optimism for this upcoming season. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get to some of your questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers from the two six zero guys. What is the Cardinals' plan B for second base if Edmund has another down year? Do you trust Carp at that spot? And what if he has to be the DH? It's an interesting question, Alex. Who do you think is their plan B at second base if Tommy Edmund has a down year? I would say Carpenter, but I think the Cardinals are sitting there saying we don't have a plan B because we hope we don't have to use a plan B. But it. it, it Frankly, it comes down to Carpenter and Edmundo Sosa. Carpenter would be if there's no DH. If there is a DH, then Edmundo Sosa is going to be that guy to put there. But it really comes down to how Matt Carpenter's hitting the ball. Maybe he gets more opportunities there if he's hitting well. Um, But that was the biggest problem, and that's why I felt like they needed an infielder that they could have on this team for backup because you only have one guy who can play multiple positions. You got Carpenter who could play first or third, but frankly, he's not going to be playing there much. Carpenter can't play short, so it's either second base or DH for him. Yeah, I think they would turn to Carpenter first, and then they would go to Sosa. Uh, they may they may platoon those guys too, so maybe Carpenter goes against righties and Sosa goes against lefties, but I think they like Sosa more at shortstop. I think that's how the Cardinals view him. I think they've just utility infielder. He could play wherever. Yeah. I would I would say Carpenter's probably the first guy, though, is plan B. Remember, they got those at-bats, though, that he's got a limit on this season. Yeah, but it's like 650, right. so it, it, it's going to be tough for him to reach that unless he's literally leading off and starting every single day. Like That's the only way that he reaches those. BK would tear out whatever hair he has <laughs> if that's the case. Yeah, And he, that's he, no shot at you balding. That's just because you have short hair. Th- th- thanks, Adam. You're welcome, buddy. Um, I think Carp is plan B. Sosa would be plan C. I think Nolan Gorman is plan D. I think if you get to the point, let's say it's mid-July and Tommy Edmond didn't work out. He is a 220 hitter. It's a low on base percentage. Just not working with Tommy Edmond as your starting second baseman every day. I don't think that's going to happen, but in this hypothetical scenario, Matt Carpenter's washed and it's not coming back and it's over for him. Edmundo Sosa is what he is. He's a glove, but he's not a bat. He doesn't really give you a whole lot there. He's more of a utility infielder as a backup than a guy that you want to start every day. I think what they would do then is say, you know what? At that point, you've seen three months of Nolan Gorman probably at second base down in AAA. If he's crushing the ball down there, I think you give him a shot. And if that works, great. And if not, now you know going into the trade deadline, okay, we got to find somebody that can plug in at second base or that can at least give us another bat somewhere in our lineup, right? But I think that's kind of where they would go. They start out with Edmund. If that doesn't go well, and it's going to take a while, probably a few months. If it doesn't go well, you give Carpenter the opportunities. If he doesn't work out, you find out what uh, Sosa has. If all of those don't work out, the Cardinals still have kind of a trapdoor plan 
by going with Nolan Gorman, similar to what they could have done at third base this year. I wonder if they would go to Sosa first, just because then you get over, an, Carpenter. over Carpenter, just because then you can get an idea of what he is. If he gets a um, long, I don't know, maybe a month as a starting second baseman, just to get an idea of what Sosa can be. Because let's be honest, I don't know if you really get much of a clear picture on what he will be coming off the bench as a utility guy. I think you are if there's no DH. If there's a DH, I mean, unfortunately, Carpenter seems to be that. You don't have anybody else who can be a DH for you this season. O'Neal, Thomas, those would be the other two. Whoever's not playing in the outfield on any given day. Yeah. If you, if you truly, if the season really is about finding out what your outfield is, what they can produce, that would be probably who ends up getting a decent amount of opportunities at that DH. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, this Cardinals roster reminds me of the 2006 team. A lot of upside and just a good chemistry young team. Are they talking about the Cardinals or are they talking about the Blues? The Cardinals. Wait, weren't the Blues terrible in 06? So. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's interesting because 06, you had Jim Edmonds and Albert Pujols and Scott Rowland. You had the MV3. Around them, though, you did have a lot of unknown. You, I mean, you, you had Chris Duncan, who ended up being fantastic that season. Rest in peace to our friend. But you also, it was the Memphis Mafia that year. That was kind of the supporting cast, right? And that's where I think that the similarity is and that this Cardinals team has a few guys that are going to your hope is that they will carry the rest of the roster, but you're going to need some surprise performances for them to reach that level of heights. Yeah. I mean, look at 2006. I mean, you got an MVP year out of David Eckstein in the postseason. That was huge for them. Um, second base was kind of a, a swing position, right? Like Ronnie Belliard was playing there. Aaron miles. Aaron miles was playing there. Um, yeah. I mean, I can see it. The only difference between 2006 and this season was the pitching in twenty or 2006 was a for sure thing. And I'm not saying that it's not a for sure thing now, so don't get too excited, T-Bone. Was it, though? I heard we need a starter out Chris, of that. Chris Carpenter was a sure thing. Carpenter, yeah, but, Wainwright after, was. But Jeff Wainwright Sup- was a reliever that but year, Jeff though. Supon oh, was, was a for sure. Yeah, that, you're thinking of 11. Je- Jeff he Supon wasn't in was with the rotation in 11. I know, but going into the season, you thought he was potentially going to. In 2006. Supon was a for sure thing for you in terms of you knew he could give you solid innings. Is he any innings. different than Michaelis is right now? Well, Michaelis is a little bit more unknown because he's missed an entire season. KK? I mean, I, I feel like those guys are all kind of in the same same yeah. idea. Like Jason Marquis started 33 games for the Cardinals that year. He finished the season with a 6.02 ERA. <laughs> like, yeah, he was good. awful. What was he in the postseason, though? I'll have to look up what the numbers were. But Mark Mulder that season started 17 games for the Cardinals with a 7.1 ERA. Didn't they get Edwin Jackson, too? Yeah, like he was good. Let's, let's not act like the Cardinals rotation that year was like this praise from God. Like they they were pretty bad, actually, yeah. in the rotation outside of what, Carpenter, who was awesome. What was their bullpen? I think that's the difference. Oh, if the you difference look at the for compare. this year, in yeah. our favor. Yeah. I think the well, Cardinals power. bullpen this year is better than what 06, because I see a lot of the same, they like AZ, they said, but yeah. said in 06. You've got, to me, you've got two of the three from the MV3 free this year, Arnato and Goldie. Mm-hmm. You're missing that third, which, and then the starting pitching, there's a lot of question marks. You have that one solid guy in Flaherty, but to me, the bullpen's what makes them stand out compared to that 2016. Now, granted, I was only six when the 2016 was playing, so I'm going off of a kind of a I, I faded think memory. You could make the comp. 
it's not crazy to me that you, you could make the comp of this team to 2006. You couldn't prior to Nolan Arenado. That was the big difference is like th- this team without Nolan Arenado is not similar in any way, shape or form to 2006. I still think you're missing that third for sure bat that was Jim Edmonds. And yeah. that's the biggest question for this season. Is it going to be Carlson? Look, if it's Carlson into young, you got yourself a pretty penny right Don't now. Don't forget that the Jim Edmonds though, at that point was 36. It was not the same Jim Edmonds as the 04 version. He finished that year with an 822 OPS. So you're saying Carpenter could be the Jim Edmonds. No, I'm oh. saying that Dylan Carlson could give you that kind of production. Oh. I, I was going T-bone. by oldest. I thought Carpenter was maybe the oldest. T-bone, okay. don't throw that comp out there. Here's Jim Edmonds' numbers in 2006. He finished the year with 110 games, so he didn't play every day. There was the injuries for a lot of the roster that year. Um, he finished the year with a 260 batting average, a 350 on base percentage, and a 470 slug. You could get that out of Dylan Carlson conceivably this year. Scott Rowland finished the year with an 890 OPS. That's what I expect this season out of Nolan Arenado. And Albert Pujols had 1100 OPS. I don't expect that. Out I of don't Gold. expect that out of either of them. <laughs> That's the one that you're probably going to fall a little short from, but it just means you're going to need even better production out of the secondary players on this year's team. It, looking at a little bit more. Yeah, I could see that. It sounded a little off whenever mm-hmm. I first heard it. Kind of makes some sense. I think you could make the argument. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, how many of the available quarterbacks could actually change a franchise? There's one that's available that Bart Scott says would make a specific team a Super Bowl contender if they signed him. I'll tell you who that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. goes to Chicago, that makes Chicago, I believe, a Super Bowl contender. Can, can, can you repeat that? You believe that Carson Wentz on the Bears makes the Bears a Super Bowl contender? Yeah, or, or the Colts as well, because you just think oh. about you know what Carson Wentz okay. looks like when he's able to improvise those off-schedule plays. You think about giving him protection. This is a man that was sacked 50 times. This is because he has nobody to throw to. I mean, he had no protection, and he had an a, a average run game. Okay. Who was that? That was Bart Scott. No. Who we know says some stuff. Some. Um, he was saying that Carson Wentz could make the Bears or or the Colts into a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Gonna have to go ahead and disagree, Bart Scott. Hard disagree. I am curious, though, because I was reading over on CBS Sports just the other night, and they were writing about the top available quarterbacks and who could go where, right? It's the thing that we're going to be talking about all offseason. And they ranked Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold, Derek Carr, Tua as the next best quarterbacks available behind Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. If we operate under the assumption, for argument's sake here, that Russell Wilson is not going to be traded. Let's let's just make that assumption now. And let's say you're in charge of the Colts, because I think they're the most interesting team this offseason from a quarterback perspective, because they're already good. And if you add the right quarterback, they could be great. I don't think they're going to be able to get Deshaun Watson. So take Watson, take Russell Wilson off the table. They are unavailable to you. Is there any other quarterback that is available this offseason that can make the Colts into a Super Bowl contender? Because I laugh at what Bart Scott just said there. I think Carson Wentz might be the best available quarterback this offseason, though. And if I'm laughing at him saying that Carson Wentz could make the Colts into a Super Bowl contender, is there anybody available that could do that this offseason, Alex? No, I don't think there's a quarterback. I will, as much as I rag on Carson Wentz, I think Carson Wentz puts the Colts in a better position to battle for a Super Bowl 
not the Bears. Him saying that the Bears become a Super Bowl contender with Carson Wentz is laughable. Like, he's not going to be protected. Basically, you're going to be on your ass in Chicago as much as you were in Philly, and you're not going to have an Allen Robinson to throw to. But if he goes to the Colts, I think he makes them better. I don't think they become a Super Bowl contender with Carson Wentz. Is he better, though, than what Phillip Rivers was last year? Because you're not comparing him to whatever the Colts would have. Like, you're not comparing him to Jacoby Brissett. Because the Colts had Phillip Rivers this year, and they weren't good enough to get over the top. They weren't good enough to even make it to the AFC Championship game. So it's not that he has to be good enough. It's not that Wentz has to be better than the replacement-level quarterback. He has to be better than what they got this year out of Phillip Rivers. And I don't know that he's capable of doing that right now. Depends on what Carson Wentz is there. If it's the Carson Wentz that was an MVP that, before his injury, was one of the best QBs in the league then yeah, he definitely does. But if it's the quarterback that we just saw who, look, I understand Bart's argument of he was sacked so many times, but when he wasn't sacked, he was throwing to basically guys that were sitting in, sitting in the stands rather than on the field. If it's that Carson Wentz, no. You'd be better off asking Philip to come out of retirement or Andrew Luck to come out of retirement and help I think you. I they've tried that. Well, that's not, uh, that's not good. Then. I, I don't think he makes them better. I really don't. I think you don't he's... think he's better than Jacoby Brissett or you don't think he makes them better than Philip Rivers was this year? I don't think he makes him better than Philip Rivers. I sure. do think he might be better than Jacoby Brissett, but even then, that's to me, that's close. To me, Carson Wentz is like a one-hit wonder, two-year wonder, where he played well, sure, it was under one coordinator, but I think it was just everything was in the right place at the right time, and I don't know if he gets that again, especially in Indianapolis. I understand with Frank Wright, it makes sense because he was his offensive coordinator during those years. I just don't think he's the – I don't think he's a – starter in the NFL anymore I really don't I think he's just too beat up and now he's too hesitant that he's going to get hit and it changes his mindset completely so if you're the Colts then what do you do I would make a push for Carr you think Derek Carr is the guy I think Derek Carr would put them over the top from what Philip Rivers did I think Derek Carr played pretty well this season now granted he he dumped it off to the tight end a lot but you know what he could do that in Indianapolis too I mean he was the only quarterback in the regular season that beat the Chiefs the, the the chief starters, the only quarterback that was able to take advantage of what their defense did was Derek Carr. And he balled out in that game that they beat the Chiefs in. He was awesome in that game. I think you could make a case for Derek Carr. I think you could make a case for Sam Darnold as the upside. And same thing for Carson Wentz. Like the, the thing for the Colts that's going to be really interesting this offseason is that they are really close. They have a really good roster. Their defense is pretty darn solid. They've got an offensive line in place that no matter who you get, they're going to be standing upright in that backfield. They've got a really good running game. They've got some really intriguing pieces on the outside. The roster's there, but they're missing the most important piece. And this is the hardest place to be as a team. As a Chiefs fan, I saw this with first it was Trent Green, and then you get into the Matt Castle era, and then Alex Smith, and you're always trying to piece things together around them. So even if everything is perfect, You've still got a glass ceiling with what you're capable of. If I'm Indy, the name that I would be intrigued by that I don't think is going to get a a lot of love this offseason is Jimmy Garoppolo. I was just going to say, what about Jimmy G? I don't love Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think he's a great player by any stretch of the imagination. And I do think everything has to be literally perfect around him for him to be able to get to where he was with the 49ers two years ago. But he's shown he's capable before. He's not great. He's not perfect, but he can help you. I think him and Derek Carr, to your point, Tanner, those would be the two guys that I would be most interested in because you're trying to win now. If you were a team trying to go on the ascent, maybe then you think about Carson Wentz or Sam Darnold. I think there are teams out there that make sense for those two. I do not think the Colts are that team. 
I think if you're trying to win today, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, those would be the two quarterbacks that I'm trying to get. I would stay as far away from Carson Wentz as possible, especially for what you're going to have to pay, not in terms of the money you're going to have to pay to him, but also in terms of those draft picks. I do not think I would jeopardize my future for Carson Wentz, who is still an unknown in my opinion. I think there are better quarterbacks out there that you can make a push for and spend those draft capitals on. See, I'm not... I know that we're talking about quarterbacks outside the organization, but I'm not that low really on Brissett. I mean, I'm looking at his numbers. Yeah, they don't stand off a page, but they weren't bad. I, I mean, he make... was seven and eight as a starter. Yeah, but aren't bad isn't bad doesn't mean Super Bowl. But he got another chance to sit back a year and watch Philip Rivers, who's a great quarterback and probably an underrated quarterback because he hasn't gotten a ring. He got a chance to sit back behind him. I you're wonder not if that helps. Anything and I with get Jacoby Brissett. No. Well, I don't know if you're winning anything with Carson Wentz. Well, you got a better shot, and you got to pay a big cap hit to Wentz. And you gave uh, Brissett an extension following that season too. I, well, worst case scenario, I understand. Look, they are in a good spot minus the quarterback position. Worst case scenario, you get a higher draft pick if Brissett doesn't pan out, and then you can maybe draft a quarterback next season. What's Brett Favre doing? He might come out of retirement. Better shot than Carson Wentz. Yeah. um, (laughs) I I think the Colts are the most interesting team this offseason at the quarterback position. That's the team that I would look at because there's a lot of others that you're going to see the rotation, the musical chairs of quarterbacks, and there's going to be a lot of movement in the quarterback market. I don't think it meaningfully changes any team in terms of like becoming a real contender. There could be teams that go from six wins to nine wins, or they go from nine wins to seven wins because they downgraded at the position and they picked the wrong guy. You could see a lot of that this year. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of goes from good to great. Because they added a quarterback this offseason. From the 314, they keep bringing up Cam Newton's name. Are we, we in saw on that this year? Yeah, and that's where I'm at. Like, Cam Newton on the Colts doesn't make them a better team because he can't throw the ball. And Indy's not a team that wants to, to grind the ball and run. And if they do, they're going to be handing it off to their running backs. I don't think Cam Newton makes them better. Look, maybe he makes Chicago better. But if I'm the Bears, I'm riding Mitch Trubisky, at least for now. Oh. I don't know about that. Mitch is Mitch hey, is done. I, Mitch took <laughs> them to the over. playoffs. See, I think there is one team that beca- goes from good to great if they can make a quarterback Who? move, and I think that's San Francisco. I think they have such a great defense. The they upgrade? have the weapons. That's the thing. I Deshaun's don't know. Deshaun Watson might be the upgrade, but I don't know if they can pull that off. If Deshaun Deshaun's the exception, right? Deshaun, if Deshaun is traded, whoever gets him. They, they change wherever they were to where they're going to be. Like they, they go up a tier at, at a minimum. They go up a tier in terms of where they are in, in the rankings. I just, I'm still wondering, are the Texans actually going to do it? I, I have I, such well, a hard time believing they, it. I don't know because are they going to do it? They don't want to, but it feels like Watson's just going to force his way out. I was going to retire. If they, if they don't do it, you're not going to have a Deshaun Watson. I mean, after this J.J. Watt move, there's no way Deshaun plays for Houston this year. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. It's a 1215. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, let's play a game of in or out, including something that became much more controversial over the weekend than I expected. In or out on the Cardinals adding a left-handed outfielder. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
And I'm Br- with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The mics work better when they're on. It was on. It just wasn't in the right thing. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. Let's start with this one because I was surprised at how much of a thing this became over the weekend. Mike Petriello of MLB Network tweeted, Brett Gardner to the Cardinals on a one-year deal on line one. Please is not a report, but it's a, hey, this would be a great fit, guys. Let's do this. Did you text Mike and tell him to put that out there? There's a reason why I like Mike Petriello. (laughs) It's because he he agrees with a lot of the things that I say. (laughs) This did not go over well on Cardinals Twitter. People were very upset about it. Many of whom said they just traded Dexter Fowler so they could get playing time for these young outfielders why would they sign an old washed up veteran who hits from the left side that makes no sense in or out guys the Cardinals should still add a left-handed veteran outfielder out I agreed with what Brian Walton put out there saying why are we talking about Brett Gardner when they just traded and are paying Dexter Fowler to play for the Angels I understand you get the left-handed guy you platoon you know the numbers when it comes to Harrison Bader against lefties we got to work on your nerve I know, voice. it's not very good. It's a good thing, I guess. Um, yeah. I'm out on this. I, I I think you need to stick with the guys that you have and then come trade deadline time. Not only can you go find a guy who can spell Harrison Bader with those splits, might be able to go find somebody that can spell Harrison Bader altogether if he's not panning out for you. So I'm out on this. I'm out as well. I, I want to see what the outfielders have. And then, like you said, at the trade deadline, do something or go solve the issue in the offseason. We all know where I am. I want another starter. I don't the left-handed bat in the outfield. I would like to see what Williams yeah, has. Give me a it. starter instead. That's it. Let's get let's uh, pass on in a washed up uh, old outfielder for a washed up old pitcher. That sounds Ding. about right. Yikes. I still believe that Brett Gardner would make a ton of sense for this team. I know people don't like it, or at least a certain segment of people do not like it. I don't think it changes a whole lot, especially if there's a DH. I think that could be the game changer here. And the tough part if you're the Cardinals is you don't know what you're building your team for right now. Now, if you get word today, tomorrow, this week, whenever, hey, there's going to be a DH, adjust accordingly. I think it becomes much easier to be able to get all of those at-bats that you need for guys like Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader and more specifically, Lane Thomas and Tyler O'Neill. Those are really the two that we don't know about yet that we need to find out about. It becomes a lot easier to do that with the designated hitter. I don't think it totally changes anything for those two even without that, though. The guy that you would be platooning with Brett Gardner is Harrison Bader. Do you guys feel like we need to learn more about Harrison Bader as a hitter? Because I don't. I think we kind of know what it is. He's limited. He's not very good against right-handed pitching. He crushes left-handed pitching. And I'm okay with that. He's limited, but I'm okay with him struggling against right-handed pitching because he's hitting eighth or ninth. And, well, I like your idea of hitting him ninth behind the pitcher, but... I know he's going to be a great defensive player. I'm not really concerned about his bat. To me, his bat is never going to play really at the major league level. He's going to be below average. But it does against lefties. But his lefties. defense is elite. Well, okay, against lefties, but against right-handed pitching. Sure. So I'm okay with him being below average against right-handed pitching just because his defense is so elite out in center. And no, we don't need to learn anything from Harrison Bader, but I need the Cardinals to see that. I need the Cardinals to not have an excuse anymore of, well, we still want to see what Harrison Bader has to offer. But I think they might be at that place now where I, I think the Cardinals, if you had them like if you gave them truth serum I think they would tell you we expect him to be a slightly below average hitter that's really good gives us gold glove defense and center then that's fine 
then get me an example or get me more of an explanation on O'Neal, Thomas, and Williams. Williams is the one. I, I that's that's the the pivot point here, right? And maybe I'm just too low on him, and I'm gonna be pr- proven wrong. It's happened before. It'll happen again. No, come on, BK. I I would rather for a team that's competing, and this team should be competing this year, not only for a playoff spot, but to to have a run once they get into the postseason. I feel much more comfortable going into the year with Brett Gardner as my left-handed hitting outfielder than Justin Williams. And so I guess that's the question is, do they feel comfortable with Williams as being that guy? And if they do, okay, I, I, I get where they're coming from. But if they don't, I think this is the exact type of a move. I'm in. I still think they should do this. I understand, though. It, it seems to me like they're not going to, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Let's stick with the Cardinals' free agency interest. Over the weekend, James Paxton, a guy that we have talked a decent amount about, starting pitcher, signed a one-year, $8.5 million deal with the Seattle Mariners. I would imagine... That's the kind of deal that Taiwan Walker is going to be looking for. Something around eight to ten million dollars. And this probably means Jake Odorizzi is out of the Cardinals market. If Paxton is getting eight and a half million with incentives that can get it up to ten, I think Odorizzi's closer to fifteen, and I just don't think the Cardinals are gonna be in that market. In or out on the Cardinals signing Taiwan Walker, though, on a deal similar to what James Paxton just got. Out. Even if it's one year, eight and a half out. I mean, I got four guys competing for one spot right now. And I want to know about all four of those guys. Maybe less on Carlos Martinez, but I'd like to know. Maybe can he get back to his form? I don't need another guy into the mix fighting for one of those spots. Let's let's take the collar and leash off of Alex Reyes. Let's take it off of Daniel Ponce de Leon. Let's take it off of... Um, oh, sorry. Johan Oviedo. Boy, I forgot who I was talking about there. Let's see what these guys have to offer. I don't need to throw in Taiwan Walker into this as well. So I'm out. I'm in. I would sign Taiwan Walker to a one-year deal for 8 to 10. Oh, I didn't I, know you were build the wallet. I am. I like to open the wallet. Uh, yeah, I would be in. I. You mentioned Carlos Martinez. I I know you hate him, a, He's not a part of the future. Let's throw him in the bullpen, have him pitch all he wants, but let's get another starter that's going to solidify the rotation. Tywin Walker, I understand. I know you're about to go there. I can see the look in your <laughs> look on your face. He's no. pitched even less over he's the last three years than less, Alex Reyes, which is when, a hell of an accomplishment. Reyes drooling right now, just waiting <laughs> when to. When he is healthy, though, he is good. Last year, yeah. he got 11 starts, 2.7 ERA. I watched him pitch one of his games. He looked good. I would love to see I him can, in our rotation. But I can say the same thing and with Carlos. I can say the same thing about Carlos. Yeah, Carlos. Okay, fine. That's but good point. Carlos. Boom, roasted. Damn it. <laughs> it, it. It is a pretty good point, honestly. I, I think what you expect out of Taiwan Walker in some ways is basically Carlos Martinez. If he's healthy, he's pretty good. If Carlos Martinez is healthy, he's typically pretty yeah. good. If he, You're basically going to pay $8.5 million to not pitch for you. On top of another dude who's making, what, $16 million to not pitch for you? Come on now. I would be out on Taiwan Walker. I think he's more of the same of what the Cardinals have. All right, you change. I'm going out now. <laughs> I'd rather right. see Odorizzi. Odorizzi's the guy. Yes. If you're going into next year, we, we made the 06 uh, Cardinals comp earlier, right? Mm-hmm. We had a texter that asked, how do you think this team compares with the 2006 Cardinals? Jeff Supon's the guy that made that Cardinals rotation. He was their number two starter that year, basically, in terms of the reliability. Cardinals don't really have that guy right now. Jake Odorizzi is that guy. 
Jake Odorizzi is the one that comes in and you immediately assume he's going to start 30 games. He's going to give you 180 to 190 innings, and it's going to be at a pretty high level. Yeah, That's the guy that would suddenly the comp looks even better for this year's team to the 06 Cardinals. So I'm out on Taiwan Walker. I would be in on Jake Odorizzi. I just don't think they're going to go to that length when it comes to what the money is. Can I throw an in or out at you guys? Yeah. Okay, so Saturday we saw the um, Arizona Coyotes reverse retro jerseys, and I know both of you despise the Blues ones. Arizona uh, just put a tweet out a little bit ago. Uh, Blues, we know yesterday was Valentine's Day. This might be bad timing, but we're thinking that after today we should see other teams. It's not us, it's you. It's those ugly red uniforms. I responded back to them and said, yeah, because those purple ones were so much better. In or out on those ugly purple reverse retro jerseys. I'm in. I like oh, them. I oh. love the purple. I love you got the desert on the bottom of the jersey. You I'm like, in on you them. You like McDonald's, though, so you like Grimace. Makes a lot of sense. What? Um... I'm in because I think they are, they bring me back to like 90s, early 2000s coloring. hockey, like the color, colorful uniforms. We don't have that very much anymore in hockey. I'm in on that. Yikes. I don't think they should be something that is worn regularly. I, I will I'd agree with that. I will add that. I think that they are a better alternate uniform than the blues reverse retros. The blues reverse retros are, are pretty rough. Man. No. Arizona looks like go ahead one and fire of their, those into the sun. Arizona's looks like their owner's kid colored a picture of what a jersey should look like, and then they said, "Hey, let's turn this into a reverse retro." <laughs> That's fair. Yikes! <laughs> That's pretty much what they are. But I'm okay with that. Oh, but you hate the, the Blues. I, I don't get you two. <laughs> with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by the Cardinals manager Mike Schilt. I want to ask him what it's like to have Yachty and Wayno back for this upcoming year, and what he's expecting out of some of these young outfielders now that they're getting an opportunity. Mike Schilt, Cardinals manager, joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You wouldn't know it by looking outside right now. But it is baseball season, and let's go down to Jupiter talking with the Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Mike, we sincerely appreciate the time today. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. My privilege is going to enjoy uh, some time with you guys. Well, Mike, you picked the perfect time to uh, to join us and the perfect time to make sure you're down in <laughs> Jupiter, Florida, because we're getting like 10 inches of snow out here. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um... I feel like I uh, hopefully you got to a little little vicariously through what we're enjoying down here. Um, I mean, it's a light blue, seventy three and sunny skies. Oh. Thanks for passing that yeah, along, Mike. Because <laughs> I'm looking outside right now and I cannot see uh, I cannot see any of the roads. It is just a, a blizzard wow. basically taking place outside. So it, yeah. it's going well out here, to say the least. All right, Mike, let's start with spring training because you're down there in Jupiter. You're you're getting things geared up. What's it going to be like this year? I mean, it's it's a weird still uh, time for all of us, and you guys are trying to make it through during the middle of a pandemic. What's spring training going to be like for you guys? What are your expectations? Well, our expectations will be uh, we'll get everything we need to do to compete individually and as a group to be ready to start our season and have a good foundation to to uh, to, to play good championship caliber baseball over the next six plus months. So that's the next expectation. How we go about doing it is a little foreign. We had a little practice last year with um, 
our summer camp after a uh, close to three month quarantine after the um, spring training shutdown of, of last year. So we have a little experience um, and getting getting through it, um, and we'll just continue to do what we can to stay within the parameters, keep everybody safe, but also make sure we're. We're getting the guys ready to compete. Mike, by no means is this going to be a normal season, but I would imagine you're giddy to get this started because you'll have, a, at least from what we're understanding, a full spring training and a full 162-game schedule rather than what it was last year with an abbreviated schedule and everything that took place. Yeah, excited about the fact it's a more traditional season. I think that's good for, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, baseball is meant to be a little more of a – there's sprints within it, but there's it's also more of a marathon, so it's a, it satisfies and weeds your appetite in a couple of different ways. So um, it's good to get back to that schedule. You know, spring training schedule will be a little more adjusted based on what we historically have had, um, based on the five team pod we're in with an off day built in. Not to, you know, we'll still work out and do some things uh, on that fifth day where we don't have an actual game. But you know, looking 24 spring training games as opposed to 33 that were on the calendar last year, including an exhibition. So. Um, you know, that part's a little different. We adjust to it, but we're excited about it. I'm curious, Mike, uh, we've talked about this a lot, and I, w- I would love to hear from a managerial perspective how you look at this. When you had that 60-game season and guys are not able to get their normal innings in, especially for the young guys, how does that affect the plan for your pitching staff going into this year? Do you do you consider a six-man rotation? Do you think about going with a piggyback situation? How do you make sure that you don't go from a guy throwing 40 or 50 innings a year ago to 200 innings this year? Or, or is that something you're not concerned about at all? Oh, no, we're concerned about it. Um, you know, the good news is uh, we've got a pitching coach in Mike Maddox that has a little wealth of experience and um but we're super intentional about individually making sure our plans are as solid as possible with our, with our players. And I say with, because, you know, a large part of what we'll do is, you know, we'll make plans. We've got plans. Uh, they get mapped out. They also get adjusted um, in a couple of different manners and, and that adjustment, but those plans are also um, in concert with our players. We trust our players. We have open dialogue with them. Um, we, we try to um, stay ahead of things as much as possible. So if we think something's getting a little out of whack, where the player mentioned it to us, or it was something we see, whether we feel like the load's been a little bit more intense or there's been more stress or um, some of the measurables that now we can, we can uh, follow with our performance department, um, provide us indicators. So we, there's a lot of factors that go into what that looks like. Uh, I will say this in a, in a big picture, uh, you know, the, the amount of work that the players received last year, albeit shorter than traditionally on a full season, with clearly us playing really 58 games in the regular season and, of course, the playoffs. But relative to a 162-game season, we still, and we were able to monitor and individually uh, assess moving forward the amount of workload that took place. So if you still think about it, an encouraging thing from that workload standpoint is if you look at the calendar year last year of the pitchers, they all had a traditional starting point to get them ready for a, I believe last year was a February uh, 14th or fourth day mm-hmm. um, for the pitchers and catchers. And then they went through and we were able to get 20 of our tw- uh, 33 games in, in of a normal spring training. So my point is players, pitchers specifically got built up and through, to get ready for that season, then well-documented three-month shutdown, 
that was probably the time where there was, a, um, while we did track it, there was a, um, less workload in the calendar season that took place last year. Um, the guys did keep their arm exercise, did throw. We were as intentional as we could be working with them, and they were individually to, to kind of continue to read the tea leaves about when we're going to start. And of course, that was a little bit of a yo-yo um, for, for three months. But point being is guys were able to throw, get some sides in, some more than others based on their quarantine capabilities and what they were uh, legally allowed to, to have access to. And then we started up our summer camp, which really was a continuation of spring training, condensed, but nonetheless a period of time where, where guys were able to throw, get their bullpens in, get to face competition in, in our own hitters. We had the one exhibition game um, against Kansas City at home. And then, of course, the season took place and it kind of went from there. So the long answer to that is um, pitchers were able to keep their arms conditioned over the course of, of a pretty standard season. Um with not as much intensity, especially in that quarantine period, but nonetheless um, a workload representative of, of throwing and conditioning their arms. So uh, we'll take that information based on last year and then, of course, a little bit of information from the previous year's workload, and then we'll put our best effort to uh, figure out a way to keep guys healthy the best we can. Um, for what we expect to be a, a long season. Again, we're talking with manager Mike Schilt for the Cardinals here on BK and Ferrario. Mike, speaking of workload, uh, you got to be pretty excited about the fact that the outfielders for you, specifically these younger guys and Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas, Dylan Carlson, Justin Williams, they're going to get an opportunity to uh, to take on a heavy workload for the season rather than what the last couple of years have looked like. Yeah, you know, I mean, listen, the, the trade to, to, to create some opportunities, even more opportunities for the guys with from with Dexter, um, you know, took place and gonna miss the heck out of Dexter. It's, it's a guy that um, I think was a little um, maybe underappreciated, especially the last couple of years and what he was able to help us do um, in making the playoffs. I got the privilege of, of seeing him and how he took care of his business the last several years and how he was a positive influence on the on the younger players in our clubhouse and had a uh, dedication towards us being a, a championship caliber club. So. But it does create opportunity. Um, you know, I do feel like the, the players, you know, have received rightful opportunities, but now we clearly are going to get more of an opportunity for him. Harrison's going on parts of his fifth season in the big leagues with us and has been a pretty much an everyday player for us. Tyler O'Neill got, you know, he got one less plate appearance than Yachty got last year. Um, so he won a gold glove, qualified for a gold glove based on his plate appearances. So, you know, he's getting some opportunities. We'll continue to get them. You know, Dylan, uh, once we had the, the summer camp situation take place and, and, of course, we had the outbreak, that allowed him an opportunity to play a lot um, and, of course, and, and continue to do so in the playoffs and contribute in, in the middle of the lineup. So, you know, those guys have gotten their opportunities. I'm excited about them getting more opportunities. They're good players. I'm excited to see what they can do. You mentioned, uh, you know, Lane Thomas. Lane had a nice year um, in, in 19 and the chance that he's, you know, he took advantage of the opportunities he got was getting more opportunities, got hit with the pitch and broke his handmaid, and then last year was sidelined with, with you know, COVID. So really couldn't get on track last year. Um, Austin Dean's a guy we got in a trade the year before, um, and last year was year, first year with us um, and, and showed had a really good spring training and summer camp. So he decided to get him some opportunities, and you missed Justin Williams, who um, – Missed the beginning of 20, 2019 and missed Bigley camp due to an injury with his wrist. 
um, and then came up and helped last year a little bit at the big league club and started to get to know him a little bit more. And um, He's getting more opportunities to show what he can do in big league camp and uh, get more opportunities on the big league club. Mike Schill, Cardinals manager, joining us here for just another minute or two on 101 ESPN. Mike, I know you, you probably have heard this already from the outside when you're talking to anybody, but there's been a lot of fun that has been had on the radio in recent weeks about, you know, what this lineup could look like. Now that you have Nolan Arenado in the middle of the order, you've got Paul Goldschmidt. We're all putting Carlson second or third in this order. Have you given any consideration so far to what this could look like at the top? And who are some of those uh, top contenders, maybe the top contender for that leadoff spot going into the season? Yeah, I have thought about it. Um, I don't allow myself to think about it. I knew the club would, would probably take on a little bit different shape as we got closer to spring training. So um, I put my mental and physical energies into more of the known variables, and that's the communication, the off-season plan, and the overall uh, making sure everybody's collaborative of, of, of our off-season plan for our group individually and helping our staff moving forward. So, yeah, I got to a point when, uh, the, when Mo called me about the trade being official with Nolan. Um, you know, that was really the first night I started thinking about some lineups, and that's a fun thing to think about. Obviously, it's a it's a fun topic to talk about. Understandably, it's one of the wonderful things about our game um, is talking lineups. So, you know, it, it's uh, obviously that Nolan adds depth to the lineup. When you start thinking about to your question about the top of the lineup, you know, the good news is there's there's um, a lot of quality um, candidates for it, you know, and I, I never really believed in platoons. So I did believe more in matchups. Um, I think the analytic world supports that, um, you know, it just makes common sense too. you want to put players in a position where they have the most likely chance of succeeding. Um, you know, Tommy Edmonds done a nice job towards the top of our lineup. The uh, benefit for him is, you know, you got to, you got a guy that can switch it and has shown the ability to be effective from both sides of the plate, usually a little stronger from the right side, but historically, but has shown some things from the left side that we feel comfortable about. So he's done it at the top of the lineup. He runs well, he runs the bases well. Um, so there's, you know, some advocate for that at the top. Um, you mentioned Dylan, uh, similar deal, switch hitter, you know, has strength from both sides of the plate can run good base runner. Um, so, you know, he's an opportunity to hit towards the top. You know, Bader's killed lefties the last couple of years um, and does a nice job in the base as well. So, um, you know, he's a candidate to hit up there potentially against lefties. Um, of course, you've got, um, you know, I would expect Goldie and, and, and Nolan to anchor more the middle of the lineup. Um, you know, traditionally that's more 3-4. That's where they've used to been have, have hit. Um, does that mean that's where they'll hit? Can they hit two and three? Yeah, they absolutely can. Um, we'll take a look at all that. It's one of the reasons we're going to, we're down here in this, uh, not to rub it in, but beautiful weather down here in South Florida. <laughs> uh, we'll get an opportunity to, to see what that looks like and see how it shakes out. So, um, anyway, it's good to have options, and, and we're, we're excited to have options. And irregardless how it goes, we know we'll have some length in the lineup, which is really what's most important. We'll allow the bragging of the weather, Mike, because we're excited about baseball season. <laughs> Real quick, before we let you go, I know you got to get back to work. Just want to ask you about having Yachty and Wayno back. I know you've talked a lot about it in the offseason of how much impact they have on this ball club, but to have this season, both of them being back has to be pretty exciting. Yeah, super exciting. I'm, I'm another tip that I had in the front office, not only bringing them back, but also, you know, adding Nolan to our club as well. And know what that looks like to provide us a, a quality club on the field. And, you know, look, I said it, I'm advocates, but it's easy to advocate for, 
for guys like uh, Wayno and Yachty. I mean, they're winners. That's, that's where it starts right there. They they know how to win. They're dedicated to winning. They're um, clearly good players individually. They've had storied careers. And what I appreciate about them is they're still hungry for more. They they have a strong desire for us to win at the highest level this year to win a World Series. And I appreciate and love the attitude about that and respect that and, and um and completely on board with what those expectations look like. And, um, you know, they're also another thing I really appreciate and respect about them is just how they carry themselves. They're, they're pros, pros. They're great teammates. They're, they're leaders of, of uh, themselves. They're leaders of our clubhouse. And they're also um, really, really quality leaders and good stewards in our community. So I just respect them across the board. Well, Mike, we are certainly excited to see them back in Cardinals uniforms, and we can't wait for this season to officially kick off. I mean, I, I've been here in St. Louis since 2016. It's as excited as I've seen Cardinals fans in that time about this team. So we can't wait to watch you guys. Can't wait to talk with you again soon because we have so many other questions. I mean, we didn't even get into the bullpen or what the back end of this rotation could look like. There's a lot of excitement around the team, and we can't wait for it. He's Mike Schilt, Cardinals manager, joining us here on 101 ESPN. All the best, Mike. Stay safe down there, and we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Enjoy, and have a blessed day. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Mike Schilt joining us here on 101 ESPN. Find it interesting. We asked about the leadoff spot. Do you know who we didn't mention? Did you? It's not. It sometimes it's as much about the omissions as it is about the answers. He said Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson. He mentioned my guy Harrison Bader against left-handed pitching, which I think would be a really smart idea. Do you notice who he didn't say there? Good old Matt Carpenter. Hey, that's because he's the unsung hero, and nobody they want to let him fly under the radar. So then when he takes over that spot and he says, "Hey, BK." Stop reading too much into things. Found it interesting that he didn't mention Matt Carpenter's name there. Also find it to be the obvious thing. Like, uh, of course, I, I, it might be possible still that Carpenter could be the starting leadoff hitter at some point during the season. That might happen. I would be very, very, very surprised if on opening day that is the plan. Why don't you leave the tinfoil to Ferrari? <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair. I also, just to kind of wrap things up here, I did think that there were some interesting things there. Uh, he also mentioned Goldie and Arenado, the kind of plan going into spring training. He basically told you 3-4. It could be ending, ending up as them being 2-3, but at least to start things off going 3-4. 2-3 actually makes some sense. Gives you protection to Dylan Carlson if you put him in like a 4 or 5 spot. Or if you put Carlson 1 and you're just getting your best hitters, the most amount of at-bats basically would be this scenario. You go Carlson one, uh, Goldschmidt two, Arenado three, DeYoung four. Or you go Arenado two, Goldschmidt three. Either one. <laughs> However you want to do it. You, could, you could reverse those things. But I, that is possible. And if Tyler O'Neill, for instance, ends up just crushing the ball, you could put Tyler O'Neill as that cleanup hitter there. I know that we don't think of him that way now. It would take him being pretty darn good for that to be the case. Mm-hmm. But that that's an interesting scenario there as well. I also found it interesting that he said the Cardinals – He said the Cardinals are worried about the innings, but then went through and kind of explained while we are concerned, here's why it's not overly terrifying to us. Basically saying they they had a weird year, but they were at least still able to get some work. So I'm I'm curious to see how that ends up kind of uh, working through things. One last thing. Oh, he made sure to clarify platoons versus matchups. 
I don't know what he meant by that. I would imagine he's kind of taking into account more of, well, it's not just against right-handed pitching, but it's the specific style of right-handed pitcher. Like, is he a hard-throwing righty? Is he a guy that's going to throw a 91 with a good curve? What What is the style of pitcher that you're going up against? I'm imagining that's what he meant there, but I do find it interesting that he clarified between platoons versus matchups. All I heard was no Brett Gardner. That's what I heard him say. <laughs> That is very possible. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going to dive into the junk drawer, including, in my opinion, the best news report I've heard probably in the last calendar year. We'll get into that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. So, as you all know, yesterday was Valentine's Day. It also had some of the crappiest weather we've ever had in the history of Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, because today's uh, beautiful out. Yeah, not just speaking about here in St. Louis, but across America and specifically in the South. I don't know if you guys have ever been in the South during some rough weather. They don't deal with it particularly well. No, they do not. I saw a picture earlier today in New Orleans, or I think it was Baton Rouge, actually. They have a massive bridge, and it is completely closed down right now. You are not supposed to be taking this bridge. But cars have just, like, skirted around the barricade, and they're going across the bridge, and it is not going well for them, surprisingly enough, because things are freezing down there. Well... There was a report from a weatherman down in Mississippi. This comes from WLBT News, and it is in Jackson, Mississippi. This weatherman is giving everybody yesterday, you know, a a little bit of an idea of what could lie ahead in Jackson, Mississippi. So as I mentioned, you need to be where you need to be by lunch today, if not earlier than that. I know it's Sunday. You want to go to church. Today is not the day to go to church. Do it virtually because you may get stuck at the church house. And if it's Valentine's, today is Valentine's Day. If you don't like the person that you're with, you might as well go ahead and leave right now because it ain't going to be good for you because you may not be able to leave until about Wednesday. Oh, that's a great point, though. How is that a great point? It's Valentine's Day. If you're around somebody you don't want to be around, you might as well leave now because otherwise you're going to be stuck with them till Wednesday. That's the good point right there. See, if you don't like someone, you don't want to be with them on Valentine's Day, leave now and you can get away from them. I will say if you're if your relationship is like on the fritz, this would be a hell of a way to be able to get out of it. If your relationship is on the fritz and it made it this far throughout this pandemic, Probably should well, have got out I there mean, a little bit Tanner ago. Tanner could tell us, you know, that I would imagine this is a prime time for Tinder, oh, right? Yeah, There's people that have met them. during yeah. the pandemic as well. It's yeah. not just you started last February. Now you've made it through to this February. Like <laughs> there are other people that have indeed met since last March. <laughs> like that has. I mean, I guess that's true. But still on Valentine's Day. I mean, come on, like show a little love. Give it a give love a chance. Rather than just sit there and say, oh, well, the weather's bad. And if you don't like this person, get the hell out of there. Give it a chance. Can you imagine being down in Mississippi and you know the roads are going to get bad? You're like, honey, I got to (laughs) go. I can't can't stay. He said, I got to be here till Wednesday. I can't do that. I can't handle you till Wednesday. Honey, this was a super swipe for me. I just wanted to see what 24 hours was going to look like. (laughs) And if I'm here till Wednesday, 
I got other Tinder dates I got to get to. So I I'm signed out. up for Valentine's Day. I did not sign up for Valentine's week. <laughs> I, I can assure you of that. Every time I think of Valentine's Day, I think of the office episode where, where Kelly's like, oh, man, we uh, we hooked up. And, and Ryan's like, I hooked up on February 13th. It's probably what half of these people are thinking right now. Like, I hooked up on Valentine's Day when thing, right? If you're a restaurant, I can't imagine restaurants did very well. Well, you got the pandemic, of course. That's the first thing. And then you add in the fact that it's like negative seven degrees with the wind chill outside all weekend. Well, restaurants that have be, good chili might be perfect place to go. I heard on a station today when I'm coming into work and they were saying, oh, I don't understand why people don't go out. It's a beautiful, you should get out and go. And I'm Was like, that Jamie right Rivers? now? No, yeah. He Was said, that- you should go out and go to a restaurant. Go for a, go for a walk. I go. For, I went for a walk yesterday and I walked what? four miles. I'm like, Dude. Was that Jamie Rivers? <laughs> no, it wasn't Jamie Rivers, but... He literally said you should go out and walk to a restaurant. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. See, that's I, where that's where I fall on I this one. I can't even see. Like, we have a parking. So where we're located here in Creve Core, we've got a parking lot mm-hmm. right outside of uh, of we our do? window, right? Where? Not anymore. And you can't see it. Like, it's just, it's a big sheet of, I would imagine, snow and ice. I'm trying to figure out how we're all getting home after this. Well, I don't, I don't I think really, I am, actually. I got in successfully. I'm trying to figure out how we're getting home from this because it's not looking very promising right now. I told Katie, of course, people know that my wife's pregnant. I told her, I said, uh, let's make sure that the baby doesn't come between tonight and tomorrow (laughs) because I might not be home for this. That will be when Alex Ferrario starts walking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm not walking. I will be running and hitchhiking, finding some semi truck to pick me up and take me to a hospital. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Cardinals had an interesting weekend with Jack Flaherty. Flaherty won his arbitration case against the Cardinals and really specifically against the system. What does this mean for Flaherty's future here in St. Louis? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So it was a big weekend for Jack Flaherty. He won his arbitration case against the Cardinals. He filed for $3.9 million. The Cardinals came in at $3 million. And he celebrated over the weekend with the Jordan meme on Twitter saying, I took that personally. That didn't go over particularly well with a certain segment of the fan base, a Hmm. decent sized segment of the fan base. And I get it. I disagree with it, but I understand where you're coming from. I am curious from the team's perspective, guys, as we kind of move past what the fan reaction was to his reaction. If you're the team and now you're kind of moving forward here, you know, Jack Flaherty is unlikely to take anything less than what he's worth. He has proven that time and time and time again. He has stood strong on that. If you feel like he is going to get every last time that he is worth whenever this contract is up in three years, do you already have to start preparing for that in- inevitability that he might leave? After three years from now, he very well may end up going to whoever the highest bidder is. And it's unlikely, typically, that the Cardinals are that team that is the highest bidder. Do you have to now start preparing for that reality today? Yeah, I really think you do. Now, I don't think this is a matter of Jack's not going to sign here because he doesn't want to play in St. Louis. Jack's not going to sign here because he's not going to get the $350 million that he's probably going to ask for come free agency. So, yeah, if you're the Cardinals, you got to be preparing for this. And maybe this is the tinfoil Ferrario hat for you, but part of me wonders if the Cardinals were already preparing for this. 
right? Like maybe this was the decision to go get a Matthew Levator from Tampa Bay when you traded Randy Rosarena. Now, that's not because you thought Randy was terrible and you turned it around, but maybe you you, you viewed Matthew Levator as the guy that can take over if Jack Flaherty's not here. Maybe he's kind of that plan B behind closed doors. But yeah, if you're the Cardinals, you look at this scenario. Jack Flaherty has said, I want every penny that I am worth up to this point. So you do have to be preparing for this. But I don't think this is anything that you say, well, you need to trade him right now. No, I think you let him go out there and perform because look, this worked better for the Cardinals. If you can't bring him back that last year of arbitration before he becomes a free agent, if this guy has won a Cy Young, maybe two Cy Youngs, well, guess what? He's going to be a lot more in terms of return than what he is right now. So Randy spoke about that earlier today on Carriker and Smallman. If you missed any of their show, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by I Promise. Here's what Randy Carriker had to say earlier today about the possibility of trading Flaherty, not after 2022, but after this upcoming season. If you're the Cardinals after 2021 and you look at what his history is, and what the landscape of baseball is, and, and you have to concern yourself also with what the situation is going to be with the collective bargaining agreement. That's an aside. But I think with two years left on the deal, if you're the Cardinals, you have to kind of figure that he's going to be gone after two more years and start looking at what you can get for him. That I would not do. No. I wouldn't even consider it, in fact. You just entered a winning window. Going into 2021, this is the start of that window. It should be for the next three to four years, especially the next three while you have Jack Flaherty under contract. You've got Nolan Arenado. You've got Paul Goldschmidt. Dylan Carlson's going to be going into his prime. You should have this transition that you're about to start with your catching position. You've got all of the young arms you could possibly ask for all cheap cost controlled. And you've got a bunch of money coming off of the books after next, after this upcoming year, you should not trade Jack Flaherty after the season, especially if he has a good year. You go into next year, and he's on the roster once again. After that season, if he's once again good, I could understand the argument of listening to offers. But even still, I think you just ride this out. And I know in terms of the return that you're going to get for him, that is not the smart thing to do. But this is supposed to be about winning. And the Cardinals are a team that goes into every year telling us all about how it's about winning. And if it is truly about that, you don't improve your roster for the here and now by getting rid of Jack Flaherty. He's your best pitcher. He's going to be your best pitcher. He has the highest upside of any starter currently on the roster. I don't I I don't see the argument in favor of trading him unless you're okay with him potentially taking a step back whenever they do so. And with Goldie and Arenado in their prime right now and Goldie getting ready to leave his prime, I don't think there's any argument in favor of that, in my opinion. I agree. I don't think you move Flaherty at all. And let, the only way I could see it is if for some reason, whether maybe Goldie's hurt or Arnado's hurt or something, and the team's not performing come trade deadline next year, not this year, next year, then maybe. But even then, I would be very hesitant to hold on to Flaherty. You are in a winning window, and Flaherty's part of that winning window. You don't just trade away one of the panes in the window. So when it so when it comes to options, including this year, he's got four more years basically with arbitration rights, correct? Three. So including this year. Mm-hmm. So three total. 2021, 22, and 23. So Those I are the keep, three seasons. So I keep have. him until 2023. And, and then I decide to move on from him. Because look, let's let's all come to an agreement. He's not coming back to St. Louis. Because I don't think the Cardinals are going to be paying him the type of money. 
but this guy's going to go out there and perform every single season like a Cy Young candidate because he's going to want to win those arbitration rights and get the most money possible. So you got three years of Jack Flaherty as your ace to go out there and win. That's what that, that window is wide open because guess what it also does if you decide to move on from Jack Flaherty after this season? That tells Nolan Arenado, the yeah. guy who has the opt-out still, that, hey, we're not really interested in winning right now. How do you convince a player of that? How, how do you convince a player that, hey, we're actually going for it while allowing our one of their best players to just walk out the door for yeah. what would likely be a return prospects. of prospects, which is what Nolan Arenado has seen his entire career in in Colorado that's the kind of move that they would make. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 636. So you guys would just let him go and get nothing in return. You're not getting nothing in return. You would get a comp pick. Exactly. That, you'd get a, a back end of the first round comp pick. Like a David, uh, not, yeah, David Freeze was that comp pick. Sure. It, that, is that a lot? No, of course not. What you also get is a year. You get a year of Jack Flaherty. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we lose sight of this and you look at it at the end of the day and you say they got... Whoever that pick is, that was the only return for Jack Flaherty. No, you also got to have a year of Jack Flaherty pitching in your rotation and you competing for a potential World Series because of that. If you can find a trade out there that makes you better on the big league club now, maybe I could listen to it. But the teams that are going to be trading for one year of Jack Flaherty aren't going to deal you players that are going to help you in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they want them on their team to compete for the here and now. From the 636 Air Comfort Service text line 65780, it's like Petro or Tavares. Keep them, risk not maximizing your return so you can keep your championship odds higher. Yeah. I mean, look, they didn't trade Alex Petrangelo when it came to that walk year because they said, look, are we better with or without Petro? Obviously, we are better with Petro. And if that pause wouldn't have happened... I truly believe those Blues would have been a cup contender once again. You keep the guy who's going to make you a championship contender, and if you can't keep him in the offseason, well, guess what? You you pivot another direction and you find somebody that can help your team, just like they did when Albert Pujols walked. And what did they do? They went and got Carlos Beltran, and they were back in the World Series again in a couple of years. If you're the Cardinals and Libertor and Thompson start to show signs of being an ace, say in that, or Reyes. Next year. You can go ahead or and throw Reyes, Reyes yeah, into we'll the throw mix Reyes as well. in there. Would it change your mind a little bit or no? no? Would you say because with those guys becoming aces, I have Flaherty that's an ace. We're better with all three, four, however you want to say It's a it. World Series then. I was about to say, you could look at this one of two different ways. On one side of things, it makes it easier to deal with the loss of Jack Flaherty. That's objectively true. If you have other guys that step up that are cheap, cost-controlled, that are now taking that mantle of being the next number one starter for you, it allows you to deal with not having Jack a little easier. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you have Libertor that steps up and Alex Reyes, let's go with those two. Those two guys look like legit number one, number two starters over the next couple of seasons. If you pair that with Jack Flaherty, now you have the equation that the Nationals took to a World Series a year ago. Like that That's what you're looking at. And so it is a question of what is more valuable to you. Being able to start the crop cycle again and trading Jack Flaherty out, going with the younger starters, they kind of groom into being one and two starters. Jack, the return that you get now replenishes your farm system and you keep this cycle going of being a consistent contender in part because of what you got for Jack Flaherty. Or do you value going for a title? Because the Cardinals, with what they just did for Nolan Arenado, seemingly told their audience, their fan base, we care about winning a title. Yep. It's not just about winning the division. 
we understand that we need stars to be able to compete in the playoffs. Over the last few years, they haven't had enough of them. They just got one. Jack Flaherty is another one of those guys that is a star. That when you get to the postseason and he can win you a game one, five, and potentially come back in for game seven, that is the value that a guy like Jack Flaherty brings to the table. And trading that for me, I don't think it's worth it. I, I would want to have that guy in my rotation to be able to go on a run in the playoffs because I think they're pretty close to being able to do something like that. I agree, but what if in two years, say, you can replace, you can move Flaherty, replenish the farm system if in this scenario, Libertor and Reyes are becoming aces, but then maybe you can fill a hole too. Does that make you more of a World Series contender or do you just stick with, we don't need to fill the hole, we stick with those three? It's tough because you we don't know. We don't know what that hole is. We don't know who the player is that could fill that, right? But... I guess the, one of my big questions would be if you're trading him to, I don't know where you would go. Maybe it's the Dodgers, right? Why wouldn't, if that player that you're getting in return is so good, why isn't he in the Dodgers lineup? Because they're also trying to win right now. So it would have to be a guy like Gavin Lux is their, their young second base shortstop prospect, right? And he's kind of blocked right now. It would have to be a situation like that where you're getting a, a guy that is knocking at the door. That's right there. That probably should be in most lineups in baseball but he can't quite crack their lineup because there's so many great players in front of him. It'd have to be something like that for me to even consider it. But I, I, for me, I would be looking at Jack Flaherty as a piece that you're building around, not one that you're getting ready to trade. I don't think the next three years trading him should be on top of mind. Building around with the idea of replacing him in three years, not via trade, but just because in case you lose him, kind of like what the Blues did. You mentioned them. Let's Toy be honest, group. they've been... Well, Tory Krug, but I was going to say they've also been uh, grooming Preco to take over that number one defenseman role, too. So that's kind of where I lean there, too. And they preemptively had an insurance plan with Justin Falk as well. Maybe that's what Matthew Libertor is. Maybe. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, speaking of the Blues, their depth pieces, they've got to keep this up for them to win this deciding game number seven tonight against the Coyotes. We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Blues are going to need these depth pieces to continue stepping up. On Friday night, Saturday night, we finally saw. We saw Blues hockey over the weekend, especially Saturday. The Blues are without Tyler Bozak, Jaden Schwartz, Robert Thomas. They have an Oscar Sundquist who is clearly banged up at a minimum. And they get regulation goals from Kyle Clifford, Zach Sanford, Ivan Barbashev. They were in on the four check. They they played a heavy blues style hockey game. They were gritting their teeth to be able to get that win. And Alex, that's what it's going to take again tonight. You're finishing things up against the Coyotes. This series did not go the way that any of us expected it to. <laughs> well, technically, they might win the series. First of all, they played an extra four games against the Coyotes that none of us expected them to play. (laughs) Second of all, I didn't expect them to lose three games in this series, much less the possibility of losing four of them. That's because you didn't listen to Ferrario. If you're that is true. If you're able to win the final three games of the series, though, you've got to feel pretty good about the way that you finished this thing out. And so tonight, this is one of those games that takes on a little more importance than what it will show in terms of the final standings. Just because, at least to me, and you can tell me what you think about this, Alex, I feel like this is one of those prove-it types of games. This is a pride game against a team that you have just faced six times 
that kicked your butt a little bit early in the series and you were able to rebound, if they're able to finish this thing off the right way, I think it would tell us a lot about where this team's mojo is go moving forward into the season. This game today, BK, will tell me who the better team is going to be at the end of this season in this division. I mean, let's be honest here. You've played seven. You've played a playoff series against this Arizona Coyotes team. If we're thinking in that mentality of it, you were down three to one. You just evened up the series three to three. Game seven is is basically all out against this opposition. Whatever team hits the ice starts off fast and holds on to that lead is going to show you the resilient team for this season. Because let's be honest, if we look at the standings, BK, Arizona still isn't that far away. I, I mean, two points today puts them at 16 points, which moves them into third place in the division, four points behind the Blues. Two points for the Blues puts them in back in first place, and they extend their lead over Colorado, who, yes, they have four games in hand after today. I was about to say, this, these standings are yeah. so confusing to look at just but because it, of the games that are... Right, but it extends the lead by seven points with two points tonight. And, and basically those four games, Colorado, if they win out, would be one up on you. This, to me, will tell you who is going to be the stronger team at the end of this series, and I think it's going to give that team more confidence moving forward because they're not going to be playing each other again. It's going out to new teams, so you're right. Depth is going to be crucial in this one, but more importantly, they have to play the blue style that we saw Friday and Saturday, combine it, and knock this team out. I also think that one of the things that was important about this weekend was Husso. He got off to a really rough start on Saturday night. You allow that really quick goal. I turned the game on, and by the time I got the game on, Alex, I I had already seen the Blues go down one nothing. I mean, that that's not the way that it's supposed to be, and it's felt that way in a lot of Villahuso starts this season. But he was able to bounce back, and he talked after the game about how he found a way to overcome what was a tough early start for him. I need to, you know, focus for the next shot, and um, I can't I can't think that how many goals they score and just just need to focus for the next puck and try to try to make the next save what how do we feel about Ville Husso now are we in are, are we feeling like he's okay for the role that he is in right now if this is in or out can I be or just so I'm in the middle <laughs> no you can't because you should be in on this you should not be out on this First of all, Ville Husso has had rough starts all season. Yep. Three and three three starts and one relief. Jeremy Rutherford put this out after that goal went in twenty one seconds in. So his first game against Colorado, that was the game where he came in relief. He allowed a goal on the third shot, which was on the power play, which was against the Colorado team. Team was terrible in front of him. Anaheim, he allowed it on the second shot. Arizona, both times he's allowed it on the first shot. But you know what he's done after both of those? He has kept his team in the game. That's not so much on Ville Husso allowing those goals. It's more his team not being ready for the action. Craig Berube talked about it after the game, and he said, look, that was a clear breakaway for one of the best players on Arizona's team in in Connor Garland. Goaltenders, that's going to be a rare save opportunity for those guys. If you're asking if you need to be in or out on Ville Husso, it's all the way in because look at that game from the second period on. Yes, he gave up goals, but three of those four goals that were scored against Ville Husso on Saturday were all his team. They were allowing multiple numbers in front of him. They were allowing screens for him not to see the shot. The only one that he would tell you he wants back is that one that beat him 21 seconds in. Ville Husso has done a lot with very little time to get prepared because he's basically sitting for a week and then jumping into a game, which is not an easy thing to do for a backup goaltender. And 
although you could say, yes, he would want that one back, Krug gave the puck up there yeah. within 20 seconds. So, exactly. I mean, like you mentioned, it wasn't like they helped him out and a lot And it wasn't the, the fourth beginning. liner. It was Connor Garland who has made this Blues team pay every single game. I'm fine with this version of Ville Husso if the Blues continue to get this version of Jordan Bennington. And I think that's an important clarification there because with this version of Jordan Bennington, he's going to start, what, 80% of the games? I mean, that, that's that's kind of what you're seeing so far from Basically, the Blues. It's three of four every week, it looks like. Yeah, so that if you're only going to get 20% of the starts out of Ville Husso, even if he is up and down, that's fine. You you can manage. You you can get through this season with him. He's basically an innings eater. He's a fifth starter in a rotation is what you're watching right now. And as long as he's able to steal a few of these games for you, that's okay. Because Jordan Bennington is stepping up and being the number one goalie that we all expected and wanted to see him be this year. So as long as that continues, it's all right if Ville Husso's up and down because that was the expectation coming into the year. He's a young guy that just got his first win in the NHL this season. You needed to find out what he had. They're finding out. And this this is okay. They can deal with this. The problem would come in if Bennington were to stay, take a step back. Mm-hmm. I don't foresee that taking place. And so I'm okay with this version of Ville Husso yeah, out there. I mean, look, Ville Husso's numbers overall this season have not been great. But take away that Avalanche game where he gave up four goals in the third period and take away that Kings game where he gave up six goals in that I mean, you've taken away half of his opportunities right, but you've also, <laughs> by doing that. But you've also taken away two games. Blues were still searching for their style. Look at the Anaheim yeah. Ducks game that he played in, BK. That was a 4-1 victory where he stopped 25 of 26 shots. If you look at that Arizona Coyotes game, he stopped 16 of 18. That was the empty net loss to them. And then the game last night where he stopped... 32 of 36 shots, which again, the team struggled in front of him. I know you're taking away half of his game so far, but you're also taking away a start of a season where the blues were still searching for themselves. And if they're, if this is the identity and that's how they're going to play in front of their goaltenders, then Ville Husso can be the guy, but you're right. This all comes back to Jordan Bennington continuing to be one of the top three goaltenders in the league right now. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario for blues versus coyotes coming up in just 30 minutes. We'll have full coverage throughout the day right here on your home for the blues. One Oh one ESPN coming up next. Let's do some Cardinal superlatives. I saw this over the weekend. I would love to get your thoughts on it. Cardinals breakout player Cardinals MVP Cardinal Cy Young going into 2021. Who would you take for all of those? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll give you some of our picks for the Cardinal Superlatives coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's officially Cardinal Spring Training Week. Feels weird to say that as there is a blizzard outside, but here we are. <laughs> Welcome to 2021. It's much like 2020 in some ways. Amen. So let's do some Cardinal superlatives because as we get ready to go into spring training, there's going to be a lot of guys that stand out. There's going to be some guys that fall down the roster and everything in between. Let's give our way too early predictions for 2021. Let's start out with the Cardinals MVP. Cardinal superlatives, the Cardinals MVP 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for 2021. Alex Ferrario will be who? Paul Goldschmidt. And I'd love to say Nolan Arenado, but I'm going to agree with my good buddy, Mike Claiborne, who joined us last week and said sometimes, especially right now with Arenado, who's coming into this team with so much high expectations for how good of a player he is. 
I think there's going to be a little bit of struggle from Nolan Arenado this season. I hope not, but I think there will be. I'm going to pick Paul Goldschmidt because that protection now is going to allow Paul Goldschmidt to flourish. So I think he's going to be the MVP for the Cardinals this season. I'm going Nolan Arenado. I, I think with Goldie in front of him, it's going to make his numbers really blossom. And I think Carlson's going to be getting on base in front too, along with Tommy Edmond, assuming those guys are one too. That's why I think Nolan Arenado is going to be the team's MVP come the end of the season. I've got Nolan Arenado as well. What he does both ways, offensively, defensively, everything in between. I think he's the guy that will be the clear cut. When we leave this season, I think we will say there is no question about it. The best player on the St. Louis Cardinals is Nolan Arenado. And that's pretty high praise given the fact that they also have Paul Goldschmidt and Jack Flaherty in the rotation. So I I think Nolan Arenado will be the MVP this year. Speaking of Jack Flaherty, who is your guys pick for Cy Young for the Cardinals in 2021? Not for the league, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, your Cy Young for them in 2021 is who? I've got Jack Flaherty. I think he's the... Do we all agree on that? I think he's the clear candidate. It's hard to disagree with that. Who would you have as the next closest candidate? I think that's even a tougher question to answer than who is the Cy Young, because I think Flaherty's the clear-cut answer to that. Who would you have at number two? I'd say KK. I don't don't have faith in Michaelis bouncing back and being what he was, was it three years ago, two years ago? See, I I see him more of the 2019 form, so I say KK, but I do have concerns if he can pitch as well as he did last I year. I think I'll put Miles Michaelis there. Um, I, I understand the KK part of this one because I don't know if all of the teams are going to have track record on him like the NL Central and the AL Central will, and even that's going to be very scarce. But I like the idea of Miles pitching in this roster. Like, with the defense behind him now of sure. Nolan Arenado, who is a ground ball and a fly ball pitcher, the outfield with Bader, O'Neill, and Carlson, insert Lane Thomas... I like this idea. So I think second best pitcher on this team, if it's not Jack, I think it's going to be Miles Michaelis. I think Tanner's going to love my answer. They don't have one. Is it crazy to say Carlos Martinez? Oh, what the? Is the most likely pitcher not named Jack Flaherty to be the Cardinals Cy Young in 2021? You know, it's not crazy to say that. I think it's more crazy that I didn't think of that. Like, I look back, I'm just looking at upside here, right? Because Michaelis's upside is he's a pretty solid number two starter. He's got a 3-7, 380 RA, he throws mm-hmm. 180 innings. Solid if unspectacular. I think the same thing is probably true for KK. I know he outperformed that this last season, but over 30 starts, I think it it kind of looks pretty similar to what Michaelis was. Yeah. I don't think Wayno has 3-5 ERA in him over 162. I think Carlos might. I'm not sure that he definitely does, but I think he might have that in him still. I could see a 3-5 ERA striking out 180 batters and 160 innings. That's in play for him. So I would probably say the second most likely to win Cy Young for the Cardinals in 2021 would be Carlos Martinez, as crazy as that seems. I almost said Alex Reyes, but I just don't know what they're going to do with his role this season. And I'm really afraid that they're going to make him the closer, and then it basically solidifies no. him as a bullpen guy to start for the rest of the season. And you say no. I'm just saying to begin the season till Hicks is built back up. Sure. Yeah, but I think if that's going to be somebody, it'd be Gallegos. I, I, the I opportunity agree. to be closer, I think, is so far down for Alex Reyes. Right now, I think he's in bullpen purgatory like John Gant was where you're so pivotal to this team from the bullpen but we want you to be a starter yeah I I actually could see him being the closer for them I think you would see more six out closes like I I think six out saves rather I think he would be a guy that comes out there in the eighth inning 
with a man on second and then boom, he shuts things down for the next two innings. Yeah, I definitely could see it. Kind of like what Andrew Miller was in Cleveland before he came to uh, St. Louis where they just, they get into a big spot. He's the guy that goes out there, whether that be a save situation or in the sixth inning. He's just got such filthy stuff. And if you tell him to go out there and let it fly for an inning or maybe two, I just find it hard to believe that you wouldn't sure. do it. And then I'm afraid if you do it, then he's going to take a long time to build up to be a starter. It's, it's interesting how all that ties into Carlos Martinez, though, right? Like if Carlos isn't the fifth guy, Reyes gets that. But if Carlos is that guy, then Reyes is going to have that role. Speaking of Carlos, speaking of Alex Reyes, who do you guys think wins reliever of the year for the Cardinals in 2021? Who would you have as that? I think it's going to be Gallegos. Um, and I know a lot of people want to say Hicks. I, I just don't know. Got with a lot Hicks. of candidates. Yeah. I, I mean, you frankly, you do, but I like the idea of Gallegos. The thing is with him, he gets righties and lefties out. And like, that's big. Like you don't have to worry about those splits, especially with the rules of you need a minimum of three batters, right? Like you can't go to the lefty when it's, th- when it's one pitcher or one hitter. I think Gallegos is going to get an opportunity to close for a little bit. I think he's going to be the stupendous setup man for this team. So I'll pick Giovanni. Yeah, that's why I'm going Gallegos too. I, I, to me, he's going to be, I'd like to see him be the closer until Hicks is ready. Again, I think Reyes could do it too, but I like him as a closer. And then I love him as an eighth inning setup man. Yeah, I've got Reyes uh, for all the reasons well, that I just mentioned. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being the high leverage inning guy that it's a save that they need to get. He's going out there for it. If it's the sixth inning and the middle of the lineups coming up, and this is clearly the most important spot, you're up by one run, throw Alex Reyes in that situation as well. I think that's going to be his role. He's going to be the fireman for this team. I like that. I think he's going to be good at it. I've got him as my reliever of the year for the Cardinals in 2021. Is that the new nickname for Alex Reyes? The, the fireman? fireman. Is that what we're calling him now? <laughs> I think it'll be a good That's one. The fireman. T.I. Uh, breakout <laughs> candidate for the Cardinals in 2021. Who do you have for this one, uh, Tanner? Breakout player for the Cardinals in 2021. I'm actually, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Carlos? No. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> I'm going to say Harrison Bader. I think Bader's the breakout candidate this year. Oh, my God. BK almost just fell over on that one. Whoa, I, what I, are you doing, T-Bone? I think Carlson's still another year away Talking from becoming that guy. The show's almost over, I think, buddy. I think Bader's going to have a good offensive year, especially because a lot of pressure is off him now. I think, to me, he's your franchise centerpiece. I think they tell, not your centerpiece, sorry, franchise center fielder going forward. I think they tell him that, hey, dude, you're the guy here. I think he's going to have a great year this season. Uh, I think you're insane saying that, T-Bone. But, hey, you know what? Everyone needs a little insanity in their lives. I'm picking Tommy Edmond. I think a lot of people are one. Didn't didn't he already have a breakout, though? Would you consider that a breakout, or would you figure that's that? That's a fair hey, question. Would you I consider that his come out? Yeah, that's fair. That felt like his come out party, basically, for the Cardinals of the guy who nobody expected. That was the devil magic season for sure. Tommy. I think this is going to be the breakout season because everyone is upset about no Colton Wong, rightfully so. But I think Tommy Edmonds is going to prove a lot of people that, one, he can be very good defensively for the Cardinals in second base, and two, he's going to break out and show people that he can be the leadoff hitter that everyone's wanting. Well, you guys didn't take it, so I'll go ahead and give the obvious one. It's Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson's going to be the guy that makes good on all of the expectations that we've had for him because John Mosellock gave that quote, you'll have to pry him from my cold, dead hands. (laughs) And the Cardinals are now going to see exactly why. This fan base will see why he was so high on him. So Dylan Carlson, I don't think I have to give a whole lot more explanation than that. I think he's the Cardinals breakout player of the season. Last one here, Cardinals superlatives for 2021. Comeback player of the year for the Cardinals. Comeback player of the year. Who are you going with for this one? Tanner, we'll start with you, my man. I think I know who 
you guys are going I get with. To, I get to tick off one of you with mine, so this I don't is think great. you know who I'll go with. Go I'm ahead. going with Jordan Hicks. Oh, I think one. he's going to come back, and I think he's going to be electric. And if he throws harder after Tommy John surgery, oh, my gosh. I think he's going to be solid. Again, it's probably going to take the second half of the season, but I, I think he's the guy for me that's going to have that comeback season and be returned to his normal self. Don't do it. You're going to do say it. it. Don't do say it. it. Carlos Martinez. Uh, oh, okay. Wait, I'm not picking Matt you? Carpenter. Come on now. I'm not picking <laughs> Matt Carpenter. I, I want to, but I'm not going to because I picked Tommy Edmund as the breakout. That's a good point. Carlos Martinez, uh, mostly because I think he's got a little incentives with this one. Upcoming free agency. I think he realizes the Cardinals aren't going to bring him back. He gets to work with Yadier Molina once again, which is very important when he is on the mound. I don't think we're going to see the same Carlos Martinez, but we're going to see shades of that Carlos Martinez. I think we're going to see a very realistic third guy in the rotation for this team, which they absolutely need. I think Carlos Martinez is going to have a lot of people talking this offseason, so I'm picking Carlos. I like it. Um, I think this team has a lot of candidates. I mean, you guys both picked good ones. Carlos Martinez is a good candidate for a bounce back. Jordan Hicks could be a guy that is a bounce back candidate. Miles Michaelis could be that. Those are kind of in your pitching staff you could also go to the infield Paul DeYoung could easily yeah. be a guy that could be that. a comeback player of the year for the Cardinals I think Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas would both apply to this and Lane Thomas is the guy that I'm going with I'm high on Lane Thomas going into this year the Cardinals the way they talked about him going into 2020 I thought he was going to be the guy even more so than Tyler O'Neill that had the breakout season and kind of took over in left field or right field or wherever that playing time emerged. Yeah. I think that's going to happen again this year. I think Lane Thomas is going to get the majority of the starts in left field for the second half of the season. When the games really start to matter, I think it's going to be Lane out there. I'm going to go Lane Thomas as my comeback player of the year for the Cardinals. I think that's big, too, if he's able to perform that way. It's a game changer for them. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, before we get to Blues pregame at 2 o'clock, I want to tell you about something called fan-controlled football. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. remember what was it the uh not the arena football league but the lingerie football not that one. Oh, aaf aaf the yeah. alliance of football that's what i meant we had that then we had the xfl which we always enjoyed here in st louis now did you know there's something called the fan controlled football league no but i am very intrigued by this because if it's anything like we've seen in the past with different football leagues this is going to be fantastic so it just debuted over the weekend and one of the reasons why it came across my radar is because they have marshawn lynch doing color commentary for them on some of these games let me give you a a quick taste of what it's like to have marshawn lynch doing in-game analysis of these i'm gonna go ahead and throw back this caesar salad with these croutons and all this though right <laughs> go ahead take me a nice fat shit, get my stomach all right and everything then i'm gonna go out here and try to run for 200 on a 50 yard field like what's that okay best tandem in sports that needs to be doing games 
Snoop Dogg with Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, so apparently that that is what it sounds like to have Marshawn Lynch doing the analysis of your games Amazing. naturally. Uh, I had no idea this was a thing. Apparently Johnny Manziel is in this league. Oh, Didn't well, know that. Nice to know he found something to do with his life. The players make like 500 bucks a week for these games. Okay, but what are the rules? Like what, what goes into this? So it's a 50-yard field that they're playing on. It's streamed on Twitch. So it's a purely digital platform. Great start. Um, they have no punts. There is a new draft every week. So the teams are like rejumbled up every week. And fans get to vote on who they want on each individual team. So it's basically, according to what I can gather, it's essentially a combination of Madden's franchise mode and fantasy football, but in real life. This sounds incredible. I'm kind of in on it. I kind of feel myself being like, okay, I could potentially get in on this. I don't know if I'm desperate enough, though, to watch the games. The concept sounds pretty cool. The problem is when you actually watch the games and the players stink, and it's not at the same caliber of play as what you're used to. That's when I start having an issue with it. What's the what's the retired league in the NBA? The one that uh, Ice Cube was a part of. Well, the uh, name oh, is big, the three on three, big, big three. three. That's what NFL needs to do, or not NFL, but that's what somebody needs to do. Get some of those players. Like this is a great idea, but you have to implement some names to it. You can't just have like Johnny Manziel can't be the poster boy for it. You got to get some other names involved here. But who do you get? That's the tough part. Is it, it's. It's like 50-year-olds. Like Colin Kaepernick could go in there, and he he would bring some oh, yeah. notoriety to the league, both good and bad, for Michael depending Vick? on what your views What's are. What's Michael Vick doing these days? He's on Fox. Okay, that's doing, fantastic. Doing what broadcasts a, for What about Ray Lewis? Well, he's also doing broadcasting hey, right now. Well, you know what? You can do Why not bring back Terry Bradshaw? He's also doing broadcasting. Uh, I'm sure I, he would be great. Terry Bradshaw sometimes forgets he's on television, so that <laughs> might true. be a very bad idea. I'm kind of in on this. I, I'm... I'm keeping this on my radar while we have no other football to watch right now. I'm at least intrigued enough that I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. I I think I would be more willing to watch this than I was the AAF. That was just. Yeah, I didn't even buy into AAF. Like, I felt like as soon as that started, I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. Coming up next, Blues versus Coyotes pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Take me a nice fast get my stomach all right you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast powered by i promise for the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase it's a culture and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe for the safety minded who watch everyone's backs granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.